everybody, it's Blake. And this is Drew. And you're listening to the Lock, Stock, and Two Smoke Controllers podcast. So 28 of the podcast, uh, we're going to talk about two games that I ended up somewhat hating today, and Blake's going to do his best to try to defend them. But before that, I'm going to give you the rundown of our social media nonsense, the easy stuff, Facebook and Instagram. You know how to find those by now if you've been listening. The Facebook is the full name of the podcast. The Instagram is the uh, two smoking controllers with the number two mm-hmm. on the front of that. And then you can find us on Reddit and Twitch. But both of those are the word two in Smoky Controllers. Like we said before, we uh, we talked it out real good before making all this all these things. Loads of communication. Loads of communication. And then we have, uh, have the Spotify, the Spotify music playlist, uh, which you can find by searching the, just the podcast name. When you, when you do that, you'll find the podcast, and then you'll find the playlist uh, as well, usually, hopefully, if it works like it's supposed to. The playlist is just every song we've ever put on the podcast, all put together for your listening enjoyment. What else? Am I forgetting anything? I don't Twitter. think so. No, I don't think so. So, uh, other than that, we do have uh, Nobody Has Claimed the Free Game. We offered in the last episode yet, so it's still out there. If you want to, if you listen to the last episode about Shining Resonance Refrain, and there's the questions in there, and you email the questions to two smoking controllers at gmail.com. I think that's the number two in that one. Yeah. Two smoking controllers at gmail.com with the answers to the questions. Like we will send you a free copy of the game. Everybody knows that Daniel and Garrett are exempt because I, w- I didn't immediately receive an email from either one of them, so they, they paid attention that they weren't allowed to send the answers in. Uh, other than that, we'd really like to give the game away to somebody. I'm going to hold on to it for a couple of months, probably, because who knows? It's, everybody has different listening schedules schedules of how they listen to podcasts. Different people haven't listened yet, or maybe, maybe somebody will come to it later and wonder if that game is still available. So I'll hold on to it for a little while. It's not really going anywhere. And with the Twitch, I think Blake's going to just start, I think I did a post about it, Blake might just start streaming whatever game he happens to be playing on Mondays. Usually on Mondays, yeah. Yeah, because he's actually off work on Mondays, so he kind of gets up and kind of plays games all day for a big portion of his day on Monday, so he might stream. It'll be the second half, because I'm way too groggy to do it, so I usually do it like after lunch, I do it like yeah, that's four, yeah, whatever, whatever, three or so four hours anyway, after lunch. Follow us on Twitch. You'll, you'll you'll get the notifications of when he goes live and stuff like that. Go on there and talk crap to him if you want to. Tell him he's terrible at video games. He don't care. See, I think the last stream I was uh, going around killing some Nazi scum. Yeah, played Wolfenstein, but now he's beat Wolfenstein, so I'll have something else. I'm have not something sure else what. to play. Uh, doing the Twitch stream is also a bit, a bit of a uh, sneak peek into games we might talk about in the future. Very true, actually. Yeah. 
And uh, those will be spoiler streams, I'm sure. I mean, people are used to Twitch streams by now. He's not gonna be. He ain't gonna. He ain't gonna avoid a game just because there's a story in it. So you just have to be careful what you watch when he's playing a game. I agree. Uh, anything else? Uh, no. I, I think. I think. I, think I don't think I missed anything. All right. With that, we'll go into the uh, first game. I'll let Blake start with that, and I'll throw in my negative two cents throughout. Our first game is called, well, the full title is Dark Pictures Anthology, The Man of Medan. Uh, these, these, this is uh, developed by Supermassive Games. For those who don't know who that is, they're the responsible for the creation of Until Dawn. Yeah, that's their big game. That's the, I think that might be their biggest, most popular one. They've also did a VR rail shooter version called Rush of Blood, which was related to the Until Dawn's Dawn. And they've done a few other games. Uh, Hidden Agenda, and The Inpatient. Are yep. So The Inpatient is actually a VR game that's still based in the Until Dawn universe. Oh, it is well. Okay, I didn't okay. know that. I think we tried to rent it. I think Jessica tried to play it. We got it, got it on Gamefly, and she just wasn't like, VR just don't work right. And Hidden Agenda is a play as a cop, and it's a murder mystery thing when you use your phones to play. We actually played that. I don't remember anything about it, so... I told you anything about the story written there. I don't remember anything about that game. Me and Jessica both played that together using our phones to, like, you use your phones at the same time to make decisions or you kind of make dialogue choices with your phone. I forget how you, how it uses it exactly. It was pretty responsive and it worked all right. You got to, like, poke around the, you know, like, you have a picture of a crime scene. You got to poke around and find all the hidden items in the crime scene to try to help solve the crime. I don't remember who the crime, who the bad guy was, who got murdered. I don't remember any, anything about it. Did you at least have fun? That's the important thing. I don't know if that's just the important thing. I mean, I don't remember any of the game. I feel like that's important. Mm. I remember I remember uh, bits and pieces of Until Dawn, so that at least stuck with me a little bit. That's true. Uh, besides those, there are two kind of random offshoots from these kind of narrative-driven horror games. Yeah. They are responsible for apparently all the DLCs. From Little Big Planet One and Little Big Planet Two, just DLC. Just DLC. I don't know if that's just like costumes and because you don't really what's what's Little Big Planet is you create stuff so you don't really need DLC so they had to be, they had to really just be making costumes. I guess costumes are different types of skins and stuff. Yeah. And the other thing is that, that when they were a baby company, is that when they were younger, young like a? I don't know the time, but it says they it, they were founded in '08, and that kind of rings around that time so yeah. probably so they've always worked for sony until recently uh, every, everything they've ever done has been a, a playstation exclusive up until man the dark pictures anthology now mm -hmm. and the the only weird weird outlier is they did a doctor who game it's also only on playstation yeah doctor who infinity clock or the eternity clock something yeah that's like that. on the uh, i remember i remember seeing about it because it was a uh, it was matt smith's era era 
Ooh. He played as Matt Smith, yeah. That's fantastic, then. I think he did. He, he vo- well, not think. I know he voiced his part in the game. So that's everything we kind of know about Supermassive Games. Yeah. Just if you've played any of those, you kind of know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, I feel uh, Until Dawn is one of the most over... One of... Not, I will say most, but Over Dawn is regularly vastly overrated for what it was. I didn't like Until Dawn. I had watched Jessica play. Jessica, I think Jessica liked it. I think you liked it a bit, too, playing through it. Uh, when I've been, I think I'm the, I was the last to play it, so I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be cool. Everybody seems to like it. And then and playing through Until Dawn, I... You, know, uh, you, you played it before I did because you warned me about certain characters being invincible. Yeah, so that, that's, that's, that's one thing. The problem that game has, the game doesn't tell you. Uh, it's misleading thinking you think everybody's in danger and two characters in that game are literally invincible through the majority of the game everybody else isn't so the game's uh, lies to you on the front end developers too I guess I guess it's to make it where the game increase the tension of the game I was put off by Until Dawn in the very beginning the first hour hour and a half or so and then I uh, basically disliked Until Dawn all the way through and by the end I was extremely disappointed in the, in the whole experience and but I continually read online or people's loving it and think it's the coolest thing ever and a lot of people I think are blinded by the graphics of Until Dawn because it's one of the it's still a pretty incredible looking uh, piece of technology that's for sure I found out recently on another podcast listening that I, I didn't know it was done on the the it was a one of the first games done on the Decima engine which is what Horizon Zero Dawn's done on oh that's why the game looks as good as it does. The Decima engine is incredible. It's, there's really, uh, what I know off the top of my head, there's Until Dawn, Horizon, and then, uh, I'm blanking, Hideo Kojima's game. Death Stranding. Death Stranding. Death Stranding are all in the Decima engine. There's probably other ones. I didn't, I didn't go deep looking into it. Decima is actually a engine made by Guerrilla Games, so it's Until Dawn. It's not Until Dawn. Uh, Horizons, the company, Guerrilla Games, it's their engine, so they're sharing it out. And I think some Guerrilla people worked on the stranding, but I'm getting off topic here. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it, I think it's a, uh, a fairly overrated game, and uh, that game at least. And then uh, everything else, nobody has talked about this company since Until Dawn. Nobody, uh, even up until now, nobody has spoke anything about Man of Medan's made no splash whatsoever. Anyway, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, that's uh, basically everything we know about Supermassive. I had one other thing. The the writer, f- the the person who wrote the story for Man of Badan is a fellow named Larry Fessender, Fessenden. Mm-hmm. He's written five of the other games. That's all their game, then. <laughs> yeah, he's written five, which I pretty much, I guess, this until he dawn. He writes by himself? As far as I can or tell, is I there, think... Is there branching narr- narratives? He does all that work on his own? I believe so. I didn't see anyone else. It just says uh, Larry Fessenden. It's weird because we'll get here too in a minute. Uh, if Until Dawn, you have your choices, of course, and it, the game at least flows relatively well. We'll get to it here in a minute. We'll talk about how the flow is not uh, apparent or uh, existing in Man of Medan. Uh, the conversations in Man of Medan are awkward. As well as the five games, he also did two other movies. He's actually written a couple of movies. Hmm. Uh, one called, oddly enough, Wendigo and uh, Last Winter. I've heard of them. 
And he's also the director of a, we talked about this not too long ago, but... Wait, so wait, a movie called Wendigo and then, and then did Until Dawn? He did, is the, it not the same thing? Does he tell, is he telling the same story? No, I don't think so. I think he just expanded. Because Wendigo was a movie made in 2008, while this, while uh, Until Dawn was like 2012, 15, somewhere in there. Oh, hell if I know. But he, as well as being a writer, he's also a director, and he directed one of the ABCs of Death. Again, he uh, he was director keep, keep, for. We keep, uh, keep running into that. It's popular. Uh, N is for Nexus. He directed oh. that one, which I don't remember which one. Yeah, that we, was we, that. we only watched that one time. We 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 may have uh, watched too much at the in one sitting of that. You know, because you watch them, you watch ABCs of Death. If you don't take a break, you kind of getting desensitized. Yeah, you keep getting uh, just bam, 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 because there's no break in between them. But that's everything I know about the developer and the writer and the fact that he's been there writing stuff. Yeah, I think they had some, uh, the developers had some uh, some bad stuff behind the scenes. I think there's a guy that works there who's not so nice. So, you know, that's been getting real popular in the game industry. There's a guy who uh, made them work on a project for just for money to get money in the company. And that's something that, that the rest of the team didn't want to do. Forget what game. There's another game they worked on. It was on that list where they weren't the lead developer, but they were. He is one of the higher ups. Forced him to work on a game, just to get paid, which I guess you maybe have to do sometimes. But apparently he was really aggressive and mean about it. I don't. I don't know the guy's name. But that was a couple of articles about that a couple of years ago. And then and then the game hasn't. The company hasn't been in the limelight since until dawn. So I think they've been almost puttering out, but. They seem pretty adamant about the Dark Pictures anthology. They've got the, uh, when you see, when you play Man of Medan, which we'll get to the gameplay stuff here in a minute, when you play Man of Medan, I think there's either something, I think there's something, I know for sure when you beat it, there's a, there's immediately a trailer for A Little Hope, which is the next game, which will be on here. We'll we'll get it. We won't buy it because we just waited. Man of Medan hit Game Pass, so yeah. we didn't have to buy it. So I'm sure Little Hope will hit Game Pass. So there's already a trailer for Little Hope, which I think is supposed to come out. I thought this year, but who knows when uh, they'll do it. But later this year is the only date I could find was later yeah, 2020. Sure it's, been, sure it's been delayed in many ways, and then we'll have a delay anyway of it waiting for it to come to Game Pass. Uh, I think I feel like there was a reference to Little Hope somewhere in the game. Like we saw something in the game that was like a direct reference to Little Hope or like a foreshadowing. The game, it's, a, it's anthology, so I don't think the things are like connected. But they can have little Easter eggs. Yeah, like I swear we saw something. I can't remember what it I was. I think there may have been a, a book or just some weird little reference to Little Hope. It was I th- just in the. I think it was on the boat, and it was like a uh, like a flyer. It's like come visit Little Hope or something. It was something, something like silly that. like yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, like I said, mostly what everything we know about Supermassive and uh, this new anthology. They're pretty excited. About, they're seem pretty excited about it. Uh, I don't know how big the anthology is supposed to be but uh we're at least two it's games it's supposed to be up uh eight games eight games eight games Let's see if they get that far i think uh, I, that's dangerous because each game has to sell to continue to keep making this i guess they got a fat check from microsoft though when they put their game on game pass which they do everybody gets a fat check from microsoft from, for game pass but anyway let's go on to the what you got for what, you, what story and gameplay yeah genre gameplay um as I said earlier, if you've played Until Dawn or The Impatient and stuff like that, you kind of know what you're getting into. Yeah, it plays just like Until Dawn. It's a, uh, 
an interactive narrative, interactive drama, survival yeah. horror, yeah. where you're making split decisions for your characters that sometimes lead to your death, sometimes lead to safety. Yeah, and there's QTEs, quick time events when you're in danger, which aren't as prominent in this game as they are in Until Dawn, weirdly enough. And there's also, uh, we didn't play it because we didn't need to, but there is an option that lets you turn off the timer for QTEs in Man of Medan for people, I guess, who are struggling. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, I I have no problem with cheating, but I've never really had a huge, difficult time with QTEs. QTEs yeah, I haven't, I haven't struggled with QTEs uh, Since ever, probably. I don't think of anything. Infinity Runner? You struggled with that one. Well, that one, that Infinity Runner. Yeah, we haven't talked about that game We'll, yet, we'll talk we? about that another time, though. But, uh... That one sucked. Are you going to get to the the main pool of the game? Yes. Uh, It's broken into a couple of different sections, which kind of differentiate, I guess, uh, genre speaking, kind of. Uh, There's a tutorial that's actually kind of cool. I meant the co-op. What do you mean? Co-op is like the main pool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. should lead with that. Though this game plays like until dawn, we are actually this game is actually uh, co-opable, where we actually take control. Like Blake is able to start the game, uh, pick the character he wanted to start as, and then I join his game. And then I think from that point, whichever characters you choose in the beginning, it then has a predetermined has assigned you characters, different characters throughout the rest of the game. So we're actually playing an until dawn esque game, but at the same time playing different characters. We are playing it sometimes together on the same area, or uh, we'll get that. So yeah, we'll do the, the, the tutorial part. And so that's yeah. Sorry, I jumped ahead. My guy, my bad, fellas, ladies, and anything else out there, horses who's listening. I don't care. Um, and so there's a uh, a tutorial, a narrative a tutorial for the narrative, and it lets you pick between two dudes. It's two soldiers. And you can tell that they didn't treat the first this tutorial part of the game. Yeah, with 100% effort. So I think, I'm thinking about, so you'll notice if you play Until Dawn and then you play this game, there is a quality dip uh, in overall what how the game looks. And I, I can only assume that's because when they were a Sony back, I think they were Sony backed. And I think Sony threw more money at them and they lost the full Sony support when they went multi-platform. So they're probably running on just regular publisher money, if they even have a publisher. I didn't even, I didn't even look to see if they have a publisher giving them any kind of money. So you can see there's a quality. That's what you get. You get a quality dip, I guess, when you don't have a company backing you fully like that. So the game, weirdly enough, is many years newer than Until Dawn, but uh, noticeably looks worse. Especially in this tutorial, it yeah. was they didn't give these poor soldiers the love they deserved. But it it, it does start showing you. Uh, how like the co-op and stuff work which is pretty cool because it starts and there's a tutorial for the uh, like sorry we might spoil a few uh there's a couple of cool scenes in the game i think blake's about to mention a couple of them if you haven't played this yet maybe play it first play it in co-op if you can our experience might differ from a single player we are going to spoil a couple of the uh a couple of decent scares that are in the game it's our favorite moments in a game that uh, a game that I didn't I didn't overall care for, but the game has moments of well even well one particular moment of genius. Um, other than that, I just want to make sure but make sure if you don't want to if you don't want the the scares of this game ruined, at least a few we might mention maybe 
skip ahead to the next game. The next game's, I think, impossible to spoil. But this one, we can spoil a couple of things. This game's all about the experience. I don't, I don't intend to play this game twice, but uh, I just want a warning. You don't want, if you don't want it ruined, maybe just skip ahead to the next game or skip. Well, you have to skip everything because this whole thing forward, we're going to be talking about the scares and the gameplay of the co-op. Sorry, but I mean, that's good. The spoiler in there, people will be upset if we ruin all the scares. Especially for a game that's fairly new. This game came out like I'm a, I barely a year ago. Yeah, I mean. 8-30-19. And it, ju- it just hit Game Pass, so it's really getting a... Finding its feet now, probably, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure loads of people are jumping on it now. Yeah. Anyway. But as I was saying, you get this cool tutorial where you're introduced to Charlie and Joe. Yeah. Just two soldiers in, like, I think the 40s or... No, uh, I think it's like the 60s. I couldn't tell them apart. I don't remember which one I played as. Oh, whenever the war in Vietnam was. I think that was 70s. Right. Oh, when I don't know. I'm, I don't know my American history. I'm a terrible hi- history, but anyway, the tutorial go. The tutorial starts with these two gentlemen, and they're drinking, and you get to go have like a little tutorial of like how to interact with objects, and it lets you like you know pick up the beer and drink the beer, and then you go to have some fun. You go to like these little like a fortune teller, and then like a quote unquote boxing machine, mm-hmm. and you you. You each have to do both, but yeah. you each do one at, at at a time, and they go at the exact same time. It's cool. You, you can hear the you can hear him talking. We hear each other talking in the background. So one of the cool things was I was playing a character at the first, and I was doing the fortune telling, and it was showing me how to like make that's dialogue to- choices. You're doing the dialogue choices and how to work everything, and Drew was doing the QTEs on the boxing machine. However, because this is where the game pacing gets kind of strange, because Drew was going through the boxing QTE pretty quick, while I was still futzing around trying to listen and make a bunch of different choices, but he finished the boxing thing first, and so as soon as he finished, the game was like, all right, you're done too, and so... I, thought, well, I think I walked over to you and it triggered the cutscene. Exactly. Yeah. Not knowing that it was going to immediately make me stop doing what I was doing to yeah. get up and let you have your turn. I think, I think that's how they balance in a weird way. That's how they balance co-op in this genre. This is the first game I'm playing of the genre that has co-op in it. I think so. At least of that we've played. I don't know if there's more. And so it's kind of cool. Like being able to like fully interact with these games. These cutscenes and everything. At once the same thing's happening. Mm-hmm. And so kind of fast forward a little bit you're wasted you're just terribly drunk and you go back to your your ship and your commanding officers don't take kindly to that mm. one of them i guess again because it's uh with the 70s or whatever they're a little more strict and less rules uh one of you is way more drunk than the other and your commanding officer punches you and knocks you out and then the other one who's not knocked out uh, he goes straight to the brig. The one's knocked out goes to the metal lab, and then y'all just kind of go out throughout, you know, through the night. And then as the night goes on, something happens to your ship. Something infects the ship. I don't not infects, but infests, possesses something like that. Yeah, and then I, I don't know. The, the game's not very clear in its storytelling. It's also a part of certain anthology storytellings. That and I, I think this is based on a real boat. I think the story is based on a real, a real mystery. Probably of a boat, of a, of a boat that disappeared. No, I could believe that. Yeah. That's always fun stuff to do. Yeah. 
And so once all this stuff kind of happens, then you each, one of the cool things is I like how the co-op works. Because we wake up at the same time and we're having communications with one another. And Drew's like, uh, I'm locked inside a jail cell. I can't do anything. I can just walk around. There's a hat. There's a pea cup. What do I do? My character wakes up in the house, in the in sick bay, med bay. And I'm interacting with all these objects going, oh, I got these pictures and I got this stuff. And I find a couple of dead bodies. And then it's cool because Drew could see me after a certain point. He could see me like walk by his hall. He's like, hey, hey, come back, turn left. And I look over there and he's like, you know, he's like gesturing at me that he's in the jail cell. Can't gesture. Well, I think your character was just waving in general. And so then I have to solve the puzzle, which is really just find the key ring in the room over and unlock the door, and then we're together. But it's also doing a weird thing. I guess because my character slept, his didn't. I don't know exactly. But as you start going through the ship, doing these kind of tutorials and stuff, the character I'm playing as is seeing ghosts and seeing apparitions yeah and, and just weird stuff and i'm not because we're playing and i'm like oh god drew did you just see that and he's like see what and i'm like do you not see that little kid who just ran across the screen he's like what are you talking about and so there's kind of cool stuff like depending on like in this particular situation i guess part of the tour depending on who you are you see and hear different stuff than the other person so that's also kind of a cool thing to kind of pull you in yeah and then so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. Stuff happens, and then we have a time jump. Yeah, everybody everybody on that sh- The story is everybody on that ship dies. Basically, yeah. Yeah. There, you, no, no, no one made it out alive. So now we pick up to the main meat of the story, which is where we start getting introduced to all of our characters, and it takes place in modern times, like this year, last year, something like that. It's real modern, real present. Yeah, then we're assigned, and this is where you start getting introduced to more than just two characters. And each, I guess, I want to call it chapter or section of the game, you're, we're automatically assigned a character to play as. And you, there are other characters. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm only going to talk about the characters that you can actually play as, yeah. depending on where you're at. First and foremost, you have brothers. Uh, Alex and Brad. Alex is the older, Brad is the younger. Mm-hmm. And then you have Julia and Conrad. I, I think they're twins. And Julia is actually dating Alex, so there's some chemistry there. And we then you have chemistry that I that I ruined. <laughs> then there's Fliss, uh, who's the captain of your ship. Uh, Fliss is just short for Felicity, just so there's no confusion there. And what happens is y'all are going on a diving expedition. Yeah. I want to lead real quick with saying the, the main face of the game, who's in all the promotional art, is Conrad's actor. Yeah, okay, I do, yeah, let me he's talk. The only, he's the only known actor in the whole thing. I, mean, I talk about the actors real quick. Just him, nobody else is even. Yeah, because of the five that I have, oh, you messed a little something with the curator. Yeah, y- y'all remember the um, the doctor from um, Until Dawn who talks to you between chapters and kind of tells you how you're doing in the game? Uh, apparently the Dark Pictures, that's where some Little Hope reference comes in. The Dark Pictures has a guy called the Curator, which you cut to between chapters, and he basically the same thing as the doctor. 
he's telling you uh, how you're doing and what's a kind of a foreshadowing of what's about to happen and talks about this story. He talks about future stories. He's just he kind of basically kind of like the doctor of Until Dawn. There's really not a whole lot to say about him yet. If if he'll be uh, further involved or just the guy telling the stories, maybe. From what I can tell, we'll get back to the characters, but I want to take a break and enter talk about this real quick. From what I can tell, uh, the curator and how they're presenting the anthology is the curator has a bunch of stories that are unfinished, Mm -hmm. and he's speaking to you to help him uh, finish his stories. Yeah. And all your decisions and so on and so forth are what fill in the blanks in his books and that he's curating these stories. So that's a much bigger thing. He'll be the connecting point between everything, I'm yeah. sure. But I wanted to talk about him because that was kind of fun getting to see him in between chapters, just like talking to the doctor and Until Dawn. Yeah. Uh, sorry for that break in continuity, but let's hop back to the characters. I'm briefly going to knock out a few of these. The actor who plays, the actress who plays, actor who plays Julia and Fliss. Julia is played by Ariel Palak, and Fliss is played by Aisha Issa, I-S-S-A, or Isa. Yeah. These people do do the uh, voice, and the, they look like them. That's the whole point. That's how I told, I told Dom was, too. They actually look like the mm-hmm. actors. Both of them had less than five things. Yeah, that's, what I said. Nothing, that's why I said only one carrot, one dude matters. Yeah. But then for Alex and Brad, which... Alex is played by a gentleman named uh, Kareem Aline, and Brad is played by a gentleman named Chris Sandiford. Alex's actor has played in a couple of small things. He was in, he is in Altered Carbon, mm-hmm. so that's kind of big. Yeah, we haven't watched, we haven't watched it yet. He's a, he was in an episode of I Zombie, which is a show I talked about, which I thought was kind of cool. He's also in uh, Watch Dogs Two. He does some voice work in that. Mm-hmm. And I guess his more big thing is recently in Assassin's Creed Origins, he is the voice of the Son of Ra. <laughs> so if you've played Origins and you know who Son of Ra is, that's also the character who plays Alex. And then Chris Sandiford, a little smaller, he's done a character named Derek, and he's been in a few episodes of uh, Season 2 of What We Do in Shadows. Yeah, I don't remember at all. Well, we haven't watched season two yet. We've only watched season one, didn't we? We've liked a few episodes of season two. Mm. He plays a character named Derek. We just haven't met him yet. And then now, drum roll, the big, the guy who's in all the promotion art, he's in the, everything is the actor who plays Conrad, which Drew said earlier, is uh, Sean Ashmore. Yeah, if you play Quantum Break, different company, different game. He was the star of that game as well. I don't know why. I don't know why he's doing so much work in video games. They pay him. Why wouldn't you? I mean, he. I yeah. think he has a lot of pop culture because I'm gonna list off just a few of his credits. Yeah. Quantum Brink, He's the main dude. Voice mocap uh, in the X Men franchise. He's yeah. Iceman. You know, good old Bobby Drake. He's also appeared in several episodes of the show Smallville, and a mini series called Earthsea. He played the lead for Earthsea, mm-hmm. wasn't he? As well as, uh, if anyone remembers the Animorphs TV show, he was in every episode of that. He was one of the main characters. I heard, and you say they're trying, they're trying to bring that back? I did. And I'm curious. I'd watch it. I think it'd be real cool. I don't, think, I don't know if it was ever. I don't know if it was written that well or not. But it was interesting to see that come back. 
And something else kind of cool is he's also, I guess we haven't seen him yet, but a character named the Lamplighter in uh, Boys. He'll be in... He'll be in Boys Season 2, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably some character named Lamplighter. But that's all the characters real quick. We're going to... I just, I like, you know, showing yeah. all that stuff. The story's hit or miss or not really there. I think it's because it's supposed to build on the mystery of what happens with the, the big ship. But you do start on the the little boat first, and you can. This is where you learn about all the characters, who they are, their intermingling relationships of who they are, what you're really there to do. Which is really just, I think you're just drinking and drinking on a boat basically, and then you find a. Uh, the first thing you find is under underwater is they they have a little underwater radar thingy on her on sonar or whatever Fis, it's called. Fliss, how do you say her name? Fliss. Fliss's ship and. This is the first part of the game that's actually pretty neat when it comes to the co-op is two people actually want to dive down and go check out the airplane and nobody else really wants to go down. So I'm assigned a character, one of the characters who is diving and I go off of the boat into the diving sequence and I've come to, I didn't know right away when I dived down but I turned back to Blake and Blake's like, I'm on the boat. So he's playing a whole different scene that I didn't see uh, on the boat and I hear I can hear him talking and uh, other stuff like that but uh, I'm actually with the uh, who characters I'm, I'm with the, you were Alex and Julia yeah the the couple I think you were playing as Julia it goes back and forth oh, okay. a little bit kind of it seems like it goes back and forth as you go down so I do a couple of things as I dive down into the water I have it's just this is diving underwater just, we find the boat or a crashed airplane we go inside you know you little poke around, hit some buttons, and you end up inside the airplane. You're kind of just pulling yourself through. There's no dan- There's no real danger of air or anything like that. It, it's not that The gameplay ain't that deep. But I do uh, do one thing where I mess up, and I she gets her leg cut. And that it, it doesn't really do anything besides cosmetically later she has a bandage on her leg, which is kind of neat. Like, like the rest of the game, there's like the, she yeah. wears the bandage. So they, they have some flashes of uh, ghosts down there while they're down there ghost of that of that plane and other stuff like that um the main thing that i'm curious about uh if anything ever changes uh this is where some of the spoilers come in is, is we're coming back up to uh, they go kind of come up slowly because they got to watch out for you know be careful of the, b- the bins yeah the pressurizations so they're coming up kind of slowly and uh dude takes the takes the weird moment in the middle of the ocean to uh whip out a ring and propose to the girl and I'm playing as I'm playing as the girl at the time, and uh, you have multiple choices like "Yay, I'm so excited" and other stuff like that. And I chose kind of like the ones like "Ooh, I don't know about this." Uh, How about no? <laughs> uh, so I chose that, and that uh, actually uh, negatively affected the way they treat each other for the rest of the game. I felt like uh, he's uh, he's obviously upset with her, and she don't really want to talk to him too terribly much the rest of the game. So I'm wondering if anybody ever ever plays it and they just decide to get married in the ocean. Get engaged. Get engaged, whatever. Yeah, it sucks to get engaged and somebody die in the in the game. But anyway, I was kind of curious if that played out any other way. I thought that was interesting because they are uh, not happy with each other. The rest of our rest the rest of our playthrough of the game, they're, she he's he's real salty, of course. And there's a kind of a cool moment too. While you were diving, we had the ability to communicate 
and I could walk mm-hmm. you from the boat and talk to you while you were down there. Yeah. So, so, we're, was, so we're talking on the headset just in general. We are talking. But when you have control of the character, you have control of that character's dialogue choices and interactions. So he's able to, as a character, interact with the walkie-talkie and say things as a character into the walkie-talkie. And I can respond, like you, you, given the dialogue, the dialogue wheel, and I can respond to him. And we can do that in that part and do that throughout the game. You can respond to each other. It's kind of a dynamic conversation thing that we talked about doesn't always pan out. You have these, uh, sometimes that's what, in the beginning it was okay, but you start to notice that uh, making choices when you're, when two, two humans are making choices in a dialogue tree that uh, conversations can sound like we had one really bad conversation late in the game where it didn't even sound like our characters were having the same conversation. It was really, really awkward. It's difficult for the AI to keep up with two humans making choices well, the game and decisions. Stutter. You know, you, know, you, know, you know how the Walking Dead, the Walking Dead games trip over themselves. Yeah, this game didn't do that, but but yeah, some of the conversations were. Uh, we had a whole conversation one time. Where, like we let the whole thing play out. We're playing. This is this is much later. This is on the boat ship later, and all the all the characters are there. So the game's you know making everything happen. I guess, but we're only in control of two of the four or five characters that are there, and I guess on top of. Us controlling two characters, the AI, whatever, dealing with the other, not even AI, just whatever's written, dealing with the two characters on top of, I guess, who is alive and who's dead and, and all that. There's many, many factors, I suppose. But we had one conversation that I remember clearly. It's the one we talked about after we played the game. One just conversation that was just like like five people talking, and I don't think any one of the five people were talking about the same thing. They, were, they, all, they all had a different tone of voice, different inferences, and some of them were like shaking or a person would be like, like uh, say a sentence like they're in their hyperventilating and scared. And the next sentence they were talking like this. Oh no. Yeah. What? It was, it was a strange was, choice. That was the one that broke the narrative. I feel like more than anything, but, but it would say back to the other, back to the, the first boat. We can go, go on about this forever. So I don't have, so I experienced the dive down to the airplane and Blake experienced a whole, a whole different thing. Yeah. I experienced a whole other thing. I don't want to get into it too much because I do want people to play this game, but I have to deal. I dealt with a decision that had very brash uh, consequences. Consequences. I couldn't think of that word. Had very brash consequences for the rest of the party and the rest of the game about how I dealt with that and how we were treated because of it. Yeah. And then. You tell me it was, was pirates, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Some... You're, you're dancing around the fact you can't avoid it. There's he hit an encounter with some modern modern day pirates and pissed them off, and they and they and they ran off, which leads back to another awkward awkward point of the game. The pirates come back to the boat, and the decisions we played out a couple of different things that have played out. We don't know where anybody can dive anyway. A couple of things that played out. The biggest thing that played out for us is maybe different in everybody else's game. Our our main, the, the face of the game, Sean Ashmore's character, we we do it through a couple of dialogue choices in QTEs. He gets off the the main the boat onto a smaller boat and runs off to find help. And he is gone. And he's gone. The rest of the game. The rest of the game. Us with the pirates on the little boat, we then bump into the Medan, the big ship, and that's what encompasses the rest of the game is the all the interactions with the everything on the big ship and we don't see 
Conrad again to literally the end. He's part of like the ending credit scenes. Yeah. And I was like, is that, why is that a thing? If he's the face of the game. I mean, that happens a bunch. When you think back to, I think it's trying to get people to look at it. You think back to perfect example, uh, brain work, the first scream. Yeah. Though like, so, you know, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. And they murk her in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't die, though. He just leaves. It will, yeah. I guess, but, he, I guess he could die. If the, if the QTs don't go correctly, I guess he can die. We don't know where anybody can die. It's kind of the thing. We, we did make it through without for anyone all we know, dying. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, a little, bit, a little bit later. We did manage to play through, which is really hard uh, in the first and until dawn. But we, with very, very minimal effort, Everybody survived in our 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 Man of Medan game. Just basically not being stupid and getting all the QTEs. Yeah, we've missed QTEs. People still didn't die. It is true. I got hurt a couple times, so, but no one died. Uh, we'll do a couple of spoilery things uh, real quick on the main ships. So we can get on to the we we, we got another game to talk about. So we, the gist of how the game plays, uh, you spend a lot of time the rest of the game on the Man of Medan. And there's still not a lot. Like you don't really find out what's going on with the ship. I don't. I assume you're not supposed to. I don't know. I was totally left hanging. But I was so annoyed by the end of this game because nothing really, nothing really comes of anything. The game just. I was like literally, we're at the end of the game. We're getting off the boat, and I was like, wait, we're getting off the boat. And I'm like, is this it? And then like we we literally you literally sail off into the sunset or the sunrise. I guess it is in this case. Yeah. And then the credits happened. I was like, "Wow!" Like, I'm, there's just oh, it's just open ended. There's not like nothing comes of anything. Like we shot through the game in about four in hours. One sitting, we did a whole thing. In it was one like night. four hours or less. But on the ship, there are a few uh, key things to say. Uh, it starts when you're jumping around the characters, and uh, it this, these things only work in co-op. So if you're playing by yourself. Uh, you won't experience any of this stuff. One of the smaller things, um, well, so there's the normal thing from the from the opening scene, the prologue, whereas we see different things sometimes, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's very cool, actually. Um, there was even one cool uh, one cool scene where Blake picked up a collectible, read it, and sat it back down, and I'm walking around behind him because we walk around rooms touching everything. It's what you do in video games, and I pick up the same collectible. And a ghost reaches out and grabs me and scares the bejesus out of me. And I was like, did you see that ghost? And Blake's like, nothing <laughs> nothing happened to me. Because so, it was like a jawbone or something. It was like a rat jawbone or something. No, a hand reached out and grabbed my arm and scared the crap out of me. So that was pretty decent. That was pretty cool. And then there was a, a good jump scare, one that made Blake scream out loud. I, I screamed like a wee little lass. It was, because all it was was you look through a like slats on a window mm-hmm. and drew looked through it and it was just a dude dead like a you know a rotting skeleton in the background and i went behind him and i was like ooh, and i had an option to zoom in to like yeah. really look at it and when i looked at it you know nothing happened and of course as i zoomed out there was a like a ghostly figure who reached through the slats and like like cry, he like reached at my face like and it was yeah, he, I, like screamed out loud. I screamed out loud. <laughs> it was so funny. I couldn't. Help I was myself. like, "What is happening over there?" It was so hilarious. Um, I was, I, I'm for someone who's been watching horror movies. I'm 30. I've been watching horror movies since I was like four. Yeah, like hardcore horror movies, like Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah. So like, 
you're jumpy as hell. I don't under like I know it's not real, but I'm just so jumpy and but I can watch a horror movie and be like, Oh wow, that was creepy. But not get scared, but anything just kind of That's why I want Blake they, they just put Resident Resident Evil seven and it's notori- it's, notoriously scary. I want to I want I want I want Blake to play Resident Evil. Jumpy 7. At, and I don't understand why. <clears throat> Also, uh, as a, as a side note, with the uh, before I go to the the main, the most perfect co-op thing in the game, and then we'll wrap up with that. I want to read uh, another thing they do that's smart was the collectibles. If one of us is holding a collectible and reading it, the other person can walk up, and they my my character when when I when I exit out of the collectible, instead of setting it back down, my character would or his character would we would hand the collectible to the other player. It just I think you have, I think the other person has to be holding the B button or the the pick up button. Pick up button. And then and we, you we, just hand him to it. Yeah, it was kind of a really neat interaction which you don't really see in too many co-op games, especially I think it's the first time I've actually ever seen it. Well, you've seen people like give an item but they just hold their hand down. It's like, "Oh, you've received uh, this, an item." It's a full animation of you literally handing it to the person, the other person grabs the collectible. It's a piece of paper or a notebook or a newspaper Picture, and you yeah. hand the collectible off. Small detail that is actually very clever. We think very interesting. You're probably thinking, oh, that's dumb. It's a collectible. We, we didn't even discover that till really late in the game. We discovered it by accident. By accident, yeah. We, we, once we figured it out, we, could, we couldn't stop doing it. Small detail that you can only, you can only do in, in co-op. Now, now for the the main thing, you might not, now, it may not sound fairly... Uh, incredible in words, but it it nails the uh, the atmosphere and the creepiness of co-oping a game in horror. This and, is and the, where the game is messing with the minds of your of your player characters. This is probably the biggest spoiler. Yeah, this is the biggest spoiler. So please, and if who you, knows, you may not even encounter this, and depending on how the game plays out. That is true. I don't want to ruin this for somebody. So if you don't want to know, maybe skip the next like five minutes. So, Until you get to the next game. Yeah, and say like, this won't have the same impact talking about it, but we have to share this because it's one of the. I don't want to say the whole game is worth this particular moment, and who knows, this moment might not affect anybody else. But we were both into it at this point, kind of. I'm gonna say invested because I've been pulled out of the game a couple of times by other nonsense, but I was invested in this one particular scene where we're. Uh, and you and you and it helps to know that you do always or we were also even communicating which person we were playing as as a scene changes I'd be like oh I'm so and so and you're like oh I'm so and so and then we would or the game would tell you too if it's kind of fast at the top of the screen it'd be to say who's playing who we'd also communicate so we ended up in these scenes it really only applied to me because I don't think it did it to you so it really only only affected me so I was playing as the younger brother that and I was walking brand. down walking down this uh, corridor, corridor and I got into this like a almost like a, a like it was like a loop like a, the, the ship the ship at this point really messing with everybody's heads Blake is seeing a completely different scene than me he's in like water and drowning and some other nonsense is happening and I'm walking down a corridor and uh, or actually I didn't even know what Blake was doing at the time when I found out after the fact I'm walking down this corridor and he sees somebody on the end of the hallway and I walk around and they're gone and I walk through a door, and I come back out the door that I started in. So he, he, I, I realized, as a plan, I was like, oh, I'm in this weird looking loop, I guess. And then uh, he walks out, and I'm with one other character, one of the pirates, which is a AI character, not, not a big deal. The, the pirate's like, move, kid. He pushes me down the hallway and pushes me through the door, and I'm, I'm back, I loop back in the beginning. And then at this point, I'm with... Uh, Captain Fliss? I'm, I'm, I'm with Fliss. Huh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to be able to word this correctly. What do you mean? I don't. I don't think. I don't think it has the same impact. 
Cause you, you, oh, no, because Blake had told me at this point, Blake had told me uh, I, we had I, known Blake was playing. I was playing the brother, and Blake was playing as Fliss. This is where this is where it gets interesting. Blake, no. I knew Blake. No, I knew you were playing as Fliss. You had told me you were playing as Fliss in another part. I don't think you were doing the drowning thing yet. Mm-hmm. You were playing as Fliss, and I was like, okay, well, I'm playing as a brother. And I come out, and I, I, I was I was walking down the hallway. I saw the hallway. I was with Fliss and walking down the hallway, and it was just walking along. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, this hallway is well, – I forget what I said. Like, this hallway is uh, kind of looping and weird. And Blake, you're like – and Blake's like, what what hallway? I'm like, well, you're you're playing as Fliss, and you're in this hallway with me. He, and you're like, oh, I'm playing Fliss, but I'm not in a hallway. But say I I got separated from you a while ago. So at that moment, this... I realized that though I have communicated with Blake that he is playing as Fliss and I am seeing Fliss, Blake is not there. Not playing as that Fliss. And I got a little bit of a chill. I was like, oh, that is that is very big. interesting. The game hadn't the game doesn't do that to you at any other point. That's kind of sorry, it's a bit of a spoiler. I was very interesting about that because that is I turned the corner following who I thought I was following Blake's character investigating stuff. Turned the corner and that per, that thing's gone. It was this <laughs> ghost just messing with my character. Now, I know that sounds dumb in words, but when you're playing and you're in the atmosphere and the headsets and everything, you're all up in there. It was the moment that I, I guarantee majority of players won't experience because I had that moment where I'm looking at Damn name. Fliss. Fliss. I'm looking at the Fliss character. I know Blake is playing Fliss. And then he, over the headset, says, I'm not in a hallway. <laughs> it was just like that. That's a moment that cannot be done in any other game. I don't feel like. And it, it, it has to be co-op. It has to be in that moment. It has to have that communication between two players. It's an unrepeatable moment. That we will we will never experience in an, in, another, in another video game. No, it was really cool. I loved it. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it was very interesting. He just kind of chuckled about it, but I had the the just the realization of like, oh man, Jesus, this is. I didn't know he'd been going through all that stuff. Cause, yeah, I'd been to a couple of loops already, and all of a sudden I was like, ooh, well, here you are, well, here you are, finally. And I'm exploring the bowels of the boat, getting yeah, more and more lore yeah. on the ship and its occupants and stuff. Yeah. So that's probably the that that moment is the highlight. I would say the highlight of the entire game, which sucks because it can't be everybody's highlight. Because you got to there's so many factors. I feel like not only the timing factors, but also those characters even even alive. Does the game repeat that sequence with different characters? We don't know. And if you're playing alone, you can't experience you're playing that alone. alone. That, that, that yeah, that that sequence, that that event, or that way that plays out does not exist in single player. At least I don't think it does. We don't. And then know. there's uh, the game we forgot to mention because who knows who will do it. The game has a theater mode where you uh, each character you kind of like it's, it's it's like a couch co-op thing where you're supposed to say you have four or five friends over and everybody picks who they want to play as and you just pass the controller around and play the game in theater mode. Yeah. I don't know how I don't know how that works, but that that's, that that little weird moment cannot exist in theater mode either. No. No. So it's it's pretty wild. I think that'll be. The biggest moment now experience in that game, and I, and I guarantee Little Hope can't pull off anything like that again. You got anything else? I, 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 that's that's the big happy part. I know I know it's at the beginning. It's two games I, two games I I, I dislike, and I do. I'm actually I'm actually glad I was able to talk kind of positively because at at the end of my day, and I was extremely disappointed. This is hour like an hour or two after that cool moment. Oh, maybe an hour or so after that moment. Thanks, Peter, out after that. 
and then it just becomes running and screaming and running from the pirates and running from a, a ghost with an axe. And then like, it's just the quite regular old horror stuff. After that moment, it's all kind of just kind of cliche and whatever. And then you leave the boat. And I was, by the end, I was extremely disappointed by how majority, but I had those moments and those key co-op things. that I was, uh, I'm glad I'm able to talk positively about. But the other thing I wanted to, this, this would be the last thing is because we were playing co-op, it doesn't handle the co-op 100% perfect because there are times where, like, I would explore a room and Drew's exploring the same room as me or we're, we're separated, but, and I, I say I don't have a room. I have a hallway, but he has a room that has a bunch of, like, little collectibles and cool stuff. He's collecting, but I'm walking through my hallway and I get to a door. It would pull him forward. It would, oh, and yeah. that, that, and I think that's another reason we were able to go through the game so quick is because sometimes we would accidentally pull one another forward yeah, and not it's mean like, to. It's like you, it's like you hit almost hit like a checkpoint. Yeah, it happens in other co-op games, but it was it was more uh, jarring in this game because of the nature of the game. Like you play a shooter, and you get yanked forward sometimes in co-op, and it's whatever. You're like, oh, I was shooting somebody, but this like you're like poking around a room, and we accidentally hit that little, that little checkpoint wall. One one of the others, and all of a sudden, you're just like. Phew. You're just yanked to where the other player is. Maybe not even where they're at, but you're yanked to like somewhere like I said like a whole bunch just now. But it's I'm walking down a hallway, he's in a room, but then at the end of my hallway he appears in a room across the way from me and we can see each other. It just it made him skip a part of the game that he could have been interacting with. Yeah. And that that's definitely jarring, especially if you've been you have the the suspension of belief and everything, and you've been pulled into the game. You're like really kind of into it, and yeah. that just pulls you out immediately mm-hmm. to be ripped away from what you're experiencing. Yeah, I hope hopefully they can figure a way to make work that out. Like, if there's a point, it could just be like, just tell the character you can't move forward. So and so needs to come with you, and like just drop a hint that like, hey, you need to move forward. Yeah, something like that. They can figure out a narrative way to make them. Like how of... some co-op games, like if you're at a door you can't open, it's like, ooh, so-and-so needs help, or like a little... That's usually how they cover that kind of stuff. I guess I guess they didn't think that part through. Yeah, but that's um, the only thing I... I, I mean, there's things I just didn't like, but that part, just to pull you out of the experience sucks. If we didn't get pulled out of the experience, we may have enjoyed certain parts a little more. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I've got for that. I mean, that's quite... A, we, we talked quite a bit about it, actually. I'm glad, I'm glad it was more positive, I guess, than negative. That's going to be different for the next game. Go ahead. Uh, I would recommend playing this probably. I mean, right now it's easy. I, I told Blake I would have been, if, if we had, because I was waiting for Man of Medan to drop in price, I was going to buy it around $10. I may have been upset if I played this after I paid money for it. Uh, but it's on Game Pass right now. Who knows for how long. But definitely play it in co-op. I don't think, I don't think this game has the same impact. In a single player experience, I don't know. Blake had talked about doing a single player run through before the podcast at some point, but he just couldn't. He just never had the draw to come back to it. wasn't there. He talked about it a couple of days, like a couple a couple of weeks. I feel like he was like, "I'm going to do that single player run through." It just never, never happened. Then my console started getting kind of full, and I was like, "You know what, man? Madan's like twenty gigs. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> bigger, big, bigger than that. I think. Yeah, I think it's like yeah, because the graphics and all the talking. Yeah." So I think that's all I would, I would play it, but try to play with a friend if you, if you can manage, um, if, if you play single player and your experience was drastically different than the things we've said, uh, we'd like to kind of know, cause I don't want to play it again. I'm honest, but, uh, if somebody wants to write a message on the Facebook or anything like that, I'll do a post about the, put a spoiler tag in there about the differences, what, what they experienced in single player, what we experienced in co-op. I'd, I'd like to 
know about it. That'd be kind of interesting to hear. That it would. Yes, it would. All right. Now we'll jump off this into the game that I had a, a much more, much, much more negative experience with uh, to the point that it's a co-op game that doesn't have to be co-op. And I quit and abandoned Blake to play. The, he actually, for some, for some reason, decided to play the rest of the game uh, solo to completion anyway. Uh, we're going to be talking about Darksiders Genesis. This was a game uh, I was fairly excited about because of uh, one the co-op nature and the misleading way they tried to sell this game as a, a Diablo-like in the Darksiders universe, and that's we'll get to it here in a second. It's not at all what the game is. Uh, that was a, a direct lie. Blake even looked online where they tried they were selling the game as a Diablo-esque dungeon crawler. It says so, at least on, I mean, Wikipedia is not 100%, but Wikipedia is actually pretty reliable, especially nowadays, because they have moderators and people. They, they always have moderators. But now on top of that, it was uh, developed by the Airship Syndicate, which you heard earlier in the podcast, because we helped, we uh, we gave to the Kickstarter for their first game, uh, Battle Chasers Night War, which is the game that Garrett claimed way back when. So we were pretty ex- excited about the developer, excited about the idea of a, a Diablo-like game in this universe. If it would work pretty well, it are, they already chose the two the two characters, uh, War and Death, or uh, Strife. Strife. You'd be playing as, this is two-player co-op. I was like, we're totally into this. And what we like, the developer, and it looked, like the screenshots look dope. And then uh, then we got it, and the game was on Game Pass, thankfully, because this game I would have been furious if I had paid money for. And it wasn't entirely our fault. Because it was, I, again, I don't know who said this, that it was going to be a dungeon crawler Diablo-like. Yeah. It's not, not at all. Not at all. There's no loot. There's no, I mean, I guess just based off the camera angle, it could be considered a Diablo-like. Yeah, it's got the top-down camera. But that's it, because at the end of the day, it is literally just another Darksiders with a terrible camera angle. Yeah. So it expects you to play... To do what you do in a other Darksiders game. Now, granted, you know, if you listed before, I only played and liked Darksiders 1. I quit Darksiders 2. I hated it. It was nothing like the first game. Uh, completely avoided 3, which Blake covered 3 on an earlier podcast. So but this one I was just going to play because of the co-op nature and what the game was supposed to be. And it's nothing like what they said. It's, it, it's, it's, as they said, it's not really our fault because they kind of not true about what they said the game was. But then again... What the game is, is it's really just, it really is another Darksiders game. It's not a Diablo game, it's a Darksiders game, but with a really, a camera angle that does does not work. Where 3D, for a game that has puzzles and platforming in a 3D environment, this has the platforming and the puzzles, but at this camera angle you're stuck at, and you have no control over the camera, mind you, on top of that, not only are you stuck at this particular view, you have no control over where the camera goes at all. So you're platforming uh, at a top-down perspective, and it's extremely, extremely hard to do platforming 
with uh, no death perception whatsoever. Exactly. It's you can't have a 3D platformer when you can't look around your world. The Let's best see thing where you're going. There's so many. There's a there's lot an of obscene amount of blind jumps. Just off the screen jumps you have to do. I've never fallen fallen to my death so many times in a video game. <laughs> I and I would be less angry with it if they had just made it like over the shoulder or like a standard. Yeah, but the game would have worked better as if it was. It could still. We could. We said this when we were playing. This would have worked if they just made it a Dark Siders game. Put the camera behind behind the character. You know, and, you know, slightly over the shoulder or slightly above yeah, the head. Or that Dark Any of the other Dark even even though the the, the lower budget Dark Siders three version would have been better than th- than what we got with this. I don't have. So I'm choking on air over here. Yeah, this game. I hate this. I mean, I hate because I, I like I like the developer. I really really liked Battle Chasers. I despised this game. This game. I told Blake while we were playing it. We played but two it, or two or three or four sessions of this game before I quit. But you hated the platforming. And I hated the, terrible... the majority of everything. It, like it. It kind of everything. The way that the way the puzzle design was. It all. It all. Just all harken back to the way the game was designed. This game upset me so much when I was playing it that it, it literally made me sick. I felt sick when we had turned it off. And I was like, I just, this game, the game is making me sick. It's making me mad, making your head hurt. Yeah, I had headaches. Not, I really felt nauseous sometimes. Like, I just, I, I can't, I don't want to play this anymore. And I had two or three sessions, by the time when I, when I was really, when I, when I finally actually quit, I was like, I can't, I can't play this anymore. I've not been this mad or this frustrated in a game in a long time. And I'll tell one story. The last time I was so, this mad at a video game, it was a game called uh, Dungeon Siege 3. We were playing that co-op a long time ago. And it, we got to situations in that game where that game was wildly unfair. And I was basically cheating. I think it was in the, the DLC part of it, the too. DLCs. And I got, the only time in my life I got so mad at that game. It was on the 360. I got so mad at that game. And I ejected it out of my 360, picked that disc up, and bounced that freaking disc off the floor and shattered it. It's the only time in my life I've ever been that mad until Dark until Darksiders Genesis. Now, this is a digital copy, so I can't do anything. But I told Blake, it was lucky it ain't a physical copy of this, of this dang game because that was, was a righteous fury of just fury and just disgust of the design of this game. Like, it was... It was, it was I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has played it. It's just everything. I feel like everything is wrong. Everywhere you go, everything you do, it just, it, 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 everything just rubbed me the wrong way. Like every puzzle was just like, why? This is stupid. And on top of that, the controls were a disaster, an absolute disaster. I had, we were playing two different characters. We had different items. And Blake didn't realize what I was going through with one of my items until I quit. And he had to, he continued playing. He beat the game. He continued playing and he had to take control because it, it, it could be played in single player. You just swap the horseman. Mm-hmm. And he finally figured out the, the button combination it took just to throw the freaking glive. Which you had it, which you have in Darksiders 1. It's a, a little four bladed ninja star thing. You just target stuff in that game and just chuck it. And it worked really well and targeted multiple things. Like it, it does all of that in this game, but you got to press more buttons than the controller has on it to get it to do it. And then you'll fail ten times trying to do a simple thing like light two torches. Yeah. It just it, 
it's cumbersome because it had to try to balance both characters on one controller scheme, but different tools require different buttons, and it was. Yes, I don't. You talk your experience of trying to play it single player. I'd have much preferred it if they had just been like, "Hey, here's another Dark Siders with Strife." Mm-hmm. I didn't need to be juggling both of them, and because of your your camera angle. And the way that's designed, because if you're playing a Diablo, like you're just pressing or holding X to attack, or maybe like right trigger and a face button to use an ability. Mm-hmm. They wanted you to do like, oh, this is Darksiders. You got You have all the different button combos and the like action battle combat at a terrible angle. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why and, they chose and, and that we angle. Played, and we played on it. We played on easy, which is what we tend to do in video games in general. And uh, it was really difficult for like people. Just I swear, there's not a developer in history that understands difficulty besides maybe from software. And their games are hard, on, but their games are hard on purpose. And their games are hard but fair. Nobody else can figure out. They have no clue how to make a game. When you select easy in a video game, you should never, ever struggle. No, it's the point. If I want to struggle. I'll choose normal or hard. Or Uber or super difficult. Whatever difficulties yeah. are. When I choose e- when you choose easy in a video game, you should never at any point struggle. And that ain't just this developer. That's all developers. Nobody, nobody gets that right. And this game was is especially bad on, on, on everything else when having incredibly hard fights on enemies that just stand there and just take beatings. Like, like you're like assaulting them with both characters and then the guy demons are just like forget this they just smack you across the screen which is great fun I love getting smacked across the screen in games like this too where you're just smacked and you literally go sliding across the screen run back to him when you get there he just smacks you again and you run back to him Blake at least had guns for the most part yeah but uh, again I would because they I guess because they were so on the Diablo like camera angle if I'd been playing, say, a normal over-the-shoulder third person, I probably would have had a lock-on button for my guns. Yeah. Instead, it was twin-stick, and I had to. And sometimes I had to blind fire. I'm like, am I hitting? I don't know. I hope so, because I literally just got knocked off the screen. And I'm trying to run back. I don't want to get knocked off again. So I'm like, walking and aiming, trying to twin. I'm like, why am I playing as twin-stick shooter in a Dark Siders game that's also a Diablo-like that's not a Diablo-like? <laughs> the game's the game's a mess. An absolute mess, and it hurts because I was excited to play it. I mean, granted, I had give, I basically, I had, now if it done for sure, I will never touch another Darksiders game in my life. And I regret touching this one, but I was excited about this. We were both excited about this, and it was extremely upsetting to play this game. I don't know whose fault it is <laughs> of why they decided to to try to sell it like that. Yeah, because if they just said it's bad marketing, yeah, I don't know who's because I don't want to be mad at them, at Joe Joe Mad and Airship Syndicate because I don't know if it was their fault, but maybe someone else like their publisher or their marketing team saw the camera angle and like like oh it's a Diablo like and didn't ask a question. Yeah, because we we talked about earlier we we play a bunch of quote unquote Diablo likes and we hate that. Thing, that term, that but, term is assigned to all of these games, and this may have been the most damning version of that. Like you said, maybe we don't know. Maybe one publisher or somebody just saw the camera angle and they're like, "Ooh, easy Diablo like." 
Exactly. So without 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 seeing footage, without seeing how the game played, without seeing anything, they saw that camera angle and immediately tried to sell the game that way. And granted, we don't know without any research because who knows? We're just two idiots on a podcast. But it seems that way because it's like red stuff where it's sold that way. We're complaining in circles. Yeah. No, yeah. I want to do. Uh, I am excited because they did announce. This is back to Airship Syndicate. They did announce that they're working on another game. Turn-based. But this one will... will, Again, it's hard to believe now, considering how this one was lied to us, but it says it's supposed to be a turn-based, narrative-driven story. Mm -hmm. And I've never once in my life cared about League of Legends. Not once. They're doing a game based there. But they're tackling a narrative, an actual turn-based story narrative that'll have... It's called... Ruined King, a League of Legends story. Yeah. And it'll take it'll have some original characters and some fan favorites. And I'm actually kind of excited about playing that one because I turn based, cool. Yeah. Anyway. Um a couple of good points because yeah, we've I been to try to say some of them maybe I hated everything. I, I, the story and this and Dark we're back to back back to Darksiders. The story's dumb and pointless. It's a prequel. When you run out of ideas, you make a prequel. A couple of good things. <laughs> uh, all the voiceover was fantastic. Everyone did a great job doing the voices. Yeah. Uh, for the, for, well, I'd say for the first time in Darksiders history, it's just two pictures talking at each other. Yeah. There's no cutscenes. That too. Oh, we have a standard group of people. Uh, Vulgram Vulgram is in every single one of them. He's Phil Lamar. If you don't know who Phil Lamar is... How dare you? Yeah. You say, Shame you say, on you. you. Say Phil Lamar had like 500 things on his IMDb. It was impossible to count. And big ones, you know, he's Hermes Conrad. He's Jack, Samurai Jack. He's... Uh, he's Samurai Jack? He's the voice of Samurai Jack, yeah. Awesome. He's also... Oh my God, what is his name? Virgil from Static Shock. He's the voice of Static Shock. He's the voice of Jon Stewart. The Green Lantern. Well, one of them. Yeah. And it's so... Just... It's impossible. He's yeah, so many. It's huge. And that's that's Volgram. and then you have uh, Troy Baker makes an appearance. He's in there. He's Abaddon. Really? Mm-hmm. How did you catch that? Oh, his, oh he was, was he? He may have he may have come in later after you yeah, quit I the quit, game. Yeah, I quit. Could you could, could you tell it was Troy Baker? I didn't even know. Okay, you can't tell. You know, like, he may have been like because he's probably he was playing Abaddon, a demon, so he was probably all like, rah, rah. like rah, rah. and then one of the other ones, someone who has a naturally deep and seductive voice, and I don't think they augmented his voice at all. Is the main guy you're chasing the whole game? Moloch, Moloch, is uh, Keith David. Oh, nice. Good old, you know, Goliath, Spawn, Captain Anderson. He's just he's Keith David. Yeah, you should know Keith David by now. And uh, the two main homeboys you play as, uh, War, who is a uh, Liam O'Brien, voice work. He is uh, Azra in Azura's Wrath. If you're a fan of Naruto. He is the voice of uh, Gara, the Sand Demon. Well, that yeah. Sand Demon Shikaku, but he's the voice of Gara of the Sands. That's a that's a vastly that's that's a that's a stretch of talent right there because that's no he sounds nothing like his war character. He's also where to go where to go. He understand he has four hundred and seventy eight things on his IMDb page. <laughs> Liam O'Brien does, but one cool thing because we've spoken about it and Final Fantasy Four mm-hmm. uh, on the DS copy, he's the voice of Kane Highwind. Oh, he played Kane. Cool. He plays Kane, so I can. I'm like brooding, deep voice. I got you, dude. Yeah, Kane's seen some things. He's seen some things. And now for Strife, 
uh, he's played by a gentleman named uh, Chris J. Alex. Mm-hmm. Jai, J-A-I. So I think it's Jai. Like Kai and Michael Jai White, so I think it's Jai. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the voice of Panthro and Thundercats Roar, which is like their the version one, of yeah. Teen Titans Go, I guess. The crappy one, they, they, yeah. But he's, he's playing Panthro. If anyone has ever seen this show, uh, The Boondocks, there is an episode where they speak of their ancestor, uh, Catcher Freeman. He's the voice of Catcher Freeman. And I don't know if we've talked about it. I know we've played it, but I don't know if you... Uh, but Fairy Fencer F, mm-hmm. he voices the Vile God. I don't, I don't think the Vile God had, had that much dialogue. Maybe he had some, but he uh, Strife was the, the same voice actor. Yeah. And he himself, he had uh, close to 200 things. So it's hard to pick and choose. Yeah. Of who's seen what in yeah. anime. So you got a, a vast cast of really talented uh, voice actors, which do help. I'd say if, if anything's positive for me about the game, it was the though the story didn't matter. The dialogue was fun. Strife of all the horsemen, Strife's the only funny one. If anything, you've if anything you've seen about this game, we we talk about don't watch trailers for TVs and movies, but the there's a cinematic trailer. It's all it's a CGI trailer for this game, which is pr- pretty funny. It's a uh, it, it plays when you turn the game on. And that's the first turn we ever saw. We got got a handle on uh, Strife's personality. He's the only horseman with any levity, <laughs> which is about time because all the other ones so they're all solemn. they all bro- they all brood and solemn. Which is granted, maybe Strife shouldn't be funny, <laughs> but he does. I mean, he has moments. Yeah, because I want to get into kind of the meat of the story. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Yes, this is a prequel. And a lot of the people you're encountering, you've killed in other games already. So that's kind of annoying. Yeah. But but the one thing this game does do, it doesn't, I don't want to say retcon, because it's not like changing anything, but it... I'd like to tell you, it did actually retcon some things. It, it, more than anything, it just gives you information that that wasn't there. I'm not sure if that classifies... That's not a retcon, that's just details, maybe. Because there's like certain point. Because perfect example, if anyone's ever played Darksiders, uh, picture war in your head. You know, giant sword, cloth, and then oddly enough, one of his arms is about three times bigger, and he uses it as a shield. Mm-hmm. And it punched the hell out of people. But that arm's not real. Yeah, they see when I was still playing, they they kind of breeze over that a couple of times in com- yeah. passing conversation. Because in this one, they talk about because this. As the story, as anyone who knows the story, uh, you had angels and demons, and then you had the Nephilim, which were a combination of angels and demon powers. Mm-hmm. But Nephilim became so powerful that they were wiping out everything, and angels and the angels and demons didn't like that, and neither did a select group of people. And so I don't know exactly how they were chosen, but four individuals were chosen. Their names were forgotten, and they were giving new identity as the the four horsemen. Mm-hmm. They have no actual relationship to any other each other until this moment when they're like, "You're, you're it." The chart counts is like you four kill all the other Nephilim. We're going to give you enhanced abilities, all this other stuff, and you will work for us to maintain the balance. The balance. Yeah. It's all about the balance between That's everything. All war cares about at least. And so they do that, and so you get a little bit more information about them prior. Mm-hmm. And does, turn, it, does this game? I don't. I'm, I'm gonna dip out. Does this game tell you where, where the other two are? It just says they're away on another mission. Mm-hmm. So there's a possibility they could do another one. God, I hope not. But there's some cool things. It just 
Apparently, war has a uh, an anger problem. We'll just say that much. Mm-hmm. And the reason he does his he's missing an arm and he has that that implant that works as a shield was he went into a blind rage and attacked them. He, they called it his battle rage. He went battle blind and was just attacking everybody. And what happened was they pinned him down and Fury had her whip around him trying to pin him back, but he was so enraged, he just said, nah, ripped his own arm off. <laughs> Jeez. To, to get what he was trying to do. Do they just tell that story or they They, they talk about it? it. They don't tell it specifically and give the details, but they leave enough information that you can infer, and they're like, whew, you don't want another uh, arm incident to happen. And War's just like, shut up, Strife. And you find out just a little more about Strife, too. Apparently Strife may or may not have been a mass murderer in a past life. Serial killer, maybe? Because he talks about that he'd been killing for a long time time before he ever became a horseman <laughs> and he liked it a lot yeah i mean you can tell he likes killing just in the just in the general game when i was playing and so and there's really he, cool he enjoys it and there's really amazing moments too where they get to have there's in every level there's about there's 16 missions and an epilogue and in each of the missions except for some of the single missions that are just boss fights there are cool uh dialogue just little dialogue scenes you have to find. And they talk and they joke back and forth. And and seeing War open up and joke with his brother is just kind of weird. It's like, the only thing I can reference this to is playing uh, Final Fantasy Crisis Core and being Zack and having Sephiroth joking with you. It mm. just seems strange. Yeah, off Yeah. But... It's kind of like that, just someone who's supposed to be all serious and he just cracks a couple of jigs. Like, all in all, the story itself doesn't go anywhere. It just goes in a circle. Yeah, you're weirdly enough running around doing demons' favors. As far as, as much as I play, you're really running around doing demons' favors, which is not what the horsemen are supposed to be doing. Well, the counselor charged you to find a particular person, a particular demon, mm. and this one just happens to be an information broker, and you're... He's not going to do anything for free, so you're kind of doing fetch quests for him. Go he'll kill, go here, kill this demon, steal their treasure, bring it back to him. Ooh, I can use this yeah. treasure to, you know. You know like eight times where I was sick of playing. For, before I quit, and I was, it's the same thing. You come back, talk to Volgrim, he's like, oh, I need this too. And you're like, really? The, the overall story, I'm like, bah humbug. But the character development that it adds to it, because I do, at the end of the day, I do love the lore. Of the Darksider series. I like it a lot. I feel bad for the series because it had so much potential in the beginning. And they've really... I'd watch an, I'd watch a Netflix anime about this in a heartbeat. Yeah. It'd be amazing. It would be better to watch. It would be to play it. Cause <clears throat> the games... The, the franchise has been all over the freaking map now. And it's taken so long for the... I mean, originally, I think it was originally pitched as... You play as each individual horseman in four games. And we finally get a massive game on the end where it's all four horsemen together. That's obviously is not happening because it's the the death of the the company. And then yeah, so who knows what any any other additional plans has? Is we got Dark I mean, Darksiders three and Darksiders Genesis technically shouldn't even exist. Not really, no. For a dead franchise, which is kind of interesting. I do have. like I do yeah like that. Uh, I beat the game in about twenty seven ish hours or so, 
it does suffer from a bit of a me Metroidvania where you get some some of your tools and stuff you don't get till later, and you want you to go back and play some of the old levels some and ridiculous puzzles to get all your upgrades and the boatman coins and I'm I'm okay on that. Thank you very much. Bye. All the tools are it, it, cumbersome. For sure. Uh, every, they both have this like little hook shot ghost hand thing, which is cool. That's from the bad game. And then uh, War gets the Vorpal Blade and the Tremor Gauntlets. Mm -hmm. Tremor Gauntlet, Shattered Purple Crystals, Vorpal Blades. Uh, that, boom, that boomerang thing I talked about. And then for Strife, Ghost took things like everyone else. And then I get a thing called a Void Bomb, which is the version of the portals. I don't know why he just get the portal gun. Because in Darksiders 1, you get uh, whatever his weapon is called. Like, it's, it's like Redemption and Redeem or something like that. And they're... It's it's the portal gun. Wait, well, yeah, he just, he just gets a portal gun in Darksiders one. That's all the void. That's all the void orbs do is a portal. It's, yeah, and then the third one. This this made me furious. Yeah, is the third gadget you get for Strife is something called the Aether Sphere or however you want it. Ether A E T H E R Aether Ether Aether whatever you want to pronounce that sphere. Not important. Anyway, because some people get iffy. It it's the only one that turns it into a mini-game. You stand on like a little portal and you release the sphere. It's just a giant glowing ball of rocks and electricity that all you can do is steer it. You have no control over speed, over anything like that. And you're forced to go through these ridiculously complicated twists and turns. As the ball increases in speed. Constant, yeah, yeah, it just gets faster and faster and faster. And of course, there's you know, each time you play it, it's only like 10 or 15 seconds before you fail. And then you can go to one where it loops around you, zigzags between poles, and then you literally end up five feet from where you're standing, just behind you, instead of just making it kind of like do a loop. It just does this. But then I had one where I was on one side of a bridge, and it was like. My my ether sphere just went sh right across the bridge, and that was my only thing. But that one was story related. Yeah. All the other ones that weren't part of the story were vastly complicated for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I just stopped doing them. They yeah. were just pointless. I was getting so mad at them, and I was like, I hate these. And whoever invented it, I want to find them and kick them so hard in their no-no square that they cough up circles. Okay? <laughs> no, no, don't touch me there my no-no square. I'm going to kick them so hard that because I just, I was so furious that they, and when you make a game, people have to play test it. And enough people have to say that this was fun. We may have mentioned this in the podcast before. Sometimes games just have things. I mean, we like you, you see things in games, and you're like, somebody played this and said it was okay. Some idiot, some moron or group of morons played this part of a video game and was like, that's fine. Leave it in there. It's not. They should be all, I don't know. Are firing squads allowed in America? Because <laughs> sometimes think so. I think we might need one or two. Yeah. But that being said, there you know. Would you recommend somebody playing it? It's on Game Pass. If you're already a fan of Darksiders. Which is why, as I, as I, as I quote unquote fan, 
Blake only stuck around because he's beat every Darksiders game. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I've already invested. I'm invested. If you, And so if you're a fan of the Darksiders, there's a lot of people who are fans of the Darksiders world, just like I am. Like, I love the lore. I love the art style and the, meeting all the characters. It's fun. That's fun. Sometimes playing, not so much. <laughs> but thus far, my liking it goes one, three, two, Genesis. Genesis is hands down my least favorite. Mm-hmm. You actually like three more than two? Just for the sheer fact, because... Two's too big. Two's too big. And I know it's... I kind of want to contradict ourselves. We were complaining about this not being a loot-based Diablo-like. But Darksiders 3 tried to be a loot-based... Two. two. Yeah, Darksiders 2 tried to be a loot-based action combat. And I hated the loot. Yeah. So... That's just because Darksiders 1 was... They knew at the time was like a love letter to Zelda. Yeah. And Darksiders 1 was clever and fun and interesting. And then 2 was like, you like the first game? We're going we're gonna to throw all that out. Mm-hmm. So and 2's where I quit. So he says he liked the loot thing, hated the loot, because it just, it just didn't make sense all of a sudden in the world. And then, I don't know, to say it, and then to go back to, to loot again, which loot would have worked in the, in, in the, in the Diablo-like genre, but it just... Then they didn't do it. I don't, it's so... The franchise is confusing. Yeah. I don't want to crap on it too much. If you've already a fan of Darksiders, play it. If you're not a fan of Darksiders and you want to give it a go, don't let this be your first one. Do Darksiders 1 or 3. Yeah. I mean, given the choice between... uh, I guess it's for the guys out there. For me, given the choice between playing this game and just standing in a dark room and repeatedly punching myself in the balls... I would. I wish I had just stood in a dark room and punched myself in the balls. Cause why's it, it got to be a dark room? You don't want to look at it either. I, I don't want to see nothing. That's why I'm sitting there in the <laughs> darkness and just repeatedly rail myself in the balls instead of ever playing this game. I've. I said this is on. This on the. It's in. A, it's in a pairing of two games that I hated so, so very much by that part. Part where I quit in them. It's insane. That's just. That's just my opinion. I. I. I hate. I hated it. I was chuckling at the dialogue with strife and war and stuff like that, but it wasn't. The, the funny dialogue. I even told Blake while we were playing, I was like, this funny dialogue's not cutting it, man. Mm-mm. It's not it's not balancing out the, the bad design of this game. It's just not doing it. But I'm glad. I mean, so that's 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 me, you know. Whether you agree with how I think on what I've said about video games is up to you. But Blake said the, the, the positive stuff he could say about what he can say. His positives is generally just the positives of the franchise. I don't think not even necessarily... This game, because you had no fun playing this game, basically, from I can gather. There weren't really any cool moment moments in combat. There weren't. So the combat was only fun when you're fighting weaker, weaker people, because strife and war would tear people apart, which is what what they do in the main game. Well, strife don't have a main game. What what they do? But anytime you fought anything bigger than a grunt, you just get starting your butt handed to you for no reason. Like it just it just the game was the the combat was. Uh, really unbalanced. I think that comes from a company because the combat in Battle Chasers was perfect. The numbers it's were weird. beautiful. It's weird because Battle Chasers is probably not probably. I'll say it. Battle Chasers I think I said in the pocket. Battle Chasers is the best turn-based combat I've ever played. It was so clean and so perfect and so balanced. I was, so I was even nervous about 
because I thought this was going to be a Diablo-like. I was nervous like how about them going from a perfect turn-based game because the numbers in turn-based is obviously vastly different to an action RPG. So I was nervous about them making a Diablo-like game. But then it's not even a Diablo-like game. It just goes back to normal Darksiders combat. So, and I feel like that wasn't balanced. That wasn't balanced right either because, I mean, Joe Matt, I mean, some of the developers for Airship Syndicate are the developers who made Darksiders 1. Mm-hmm. He has huge pieces of visual games. And Most I don't, the employees, and I was yeah. never mad playing. I don't remember ever being mad playing Darksiders 1. And it has sort of the same combat. You fight some of the same demons. Why it's so bad and so hard in this setting, I just. I don't understand. Yeah, I wanted to leave you on a good note <laughs> for oh, Darksiders. Screw this, man. This game blows. Um, nah, uh, I mean, I say, like, like I said, if you're a fan of the franchise. Keep on chugging through, man. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll, maybe this this franchise will get somewhere one day. Because even Darksiders three didn't move forward. No, it ran alongside the one and two, didn't it? Exactly. And this one's a prequel, so like the the poor franchise is getting nowhere. It can't find its legs. Who knows if uh, there's? I don't think there's any announcement. Airship, Airship Syndicate. He said Blake said they're making something else. Uh, I've there's no currently no Darksiders news. I'm sure there'll be some next gen Darksiders game. Maybe all of a sudden there'll be a Dark Siders with all four horsemen in it. And there's no telling what'll come next. That's up to THQ Nordic right now. Mm-hmm. And they're doing good stuff, but that's not going down that path. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I think I've said all I need to say. As of I, <laughs> I was I was thinking, as uh, I've done as much as I could. Like I said, the artwork is amazing. The voice is good. The music's not half bad. The combat. It's combat, you know. It's nothing super fancy. It's no Devil May Cry with crazy shenanigans, but it is. Sorry, yeah. So we'll move on now to the the final part. Well, uh, because this last part could be, uh, we're going to try to we're going to avoid spoilers. Right? I'm going to do my best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's 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 important. Dating a podcast is bad juju, but in the spirit of the, the recent announcement of uh, the haunting of Bly Manor coming out, we figured it was maybe time to get, give a, to talk about and. If you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and try to sell you on the Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix original series uh, done by uh, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, who has been uh, rocking it, knocking, knocking it things out of, out of the park recently. If you watched him make a, was it the movie with the woman, uh, Gerald's Game. He did Gerald's, Gerald's Game, Game. Uh, Oculus. Uh, you haven't watched it yet. Me and Jessica watched his very first movie called Absentia, which was pretty interesting. It was a cool movie. Hush. Uh, he did Hush, yeah, which actually has one of the actresses. His wife. His, his, his co-writer. Is his, is his, is his wife and real wife? 
that's cool. Uh, Hush is really cool. Hush is uh, actually really interesting. It's we, a, we can talk about that at a later date because there's yeah, definitely yeah, what we're talking we'll about. We'll bring Hush back around, and we might bring some of, some of his other movies back around. Uh, I don't know if you know, because um, he's not he's fully involved. When you watch The Honey of Hill House, Mike Flanagan directs every single episode. Uh, he's not completely involved in Bly Manor, which makes me nervous. Um, but on top of that, he did do the Stephen King. Uh, I'm blanking on it. Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. And now you don't. I forget the name of it, but he is actually now since Bly is done, he has started work on another Stephen King thing. I forget the name of it, but he's making another Stephen King movie now. Currently, started work on it recently. The fact that Stephen King was like, hey. I like your work. Yeah. Let's do some more. Yeah, he's, so. technically, he's technically one of his short stories. I forget which one it is, but it's a short story that hasn't been done before. Yeah, something new. So so that would be interesting. So Mike Flanagan has been doing really awesome stuff. Uh, generally pretty great stuff, but then there's Hill House, which we'll get into here for, for a little, few minutes. But Hill, I'll, I'll stay on the front end. I've been sort of negative. Negative for the most good pieces of podcast. But I will say on the front end of this, when the year, one or two years now, the mm-hmm. year that Haunting of Hill House came out, it was probably without a doubt the bet one of the best things I saw that year. Above it, above everything else. Now, if you know how I, I tend to watch things and forget about them, I watched all of Hill House front to back nonstop with Jessica, and then immediately when we finished it, I rewatched the entire series again front to back again with Blake, and did not regret it because it's an incredible experience twice through. I don't know if you watched it twice or not yet, but Hill House is incredible two times because because of the secrets and the stuff and the hints and everything littered throughout it. It's all there the first time you watch it. You just don't know it until, the, until you're watching it back to a second time. It's an, it's an amazing, incredible TV show. But let's, I'll, let, I'll let you futz around a bit. I just want to say that I do absolutely love this, and I'm, I couldn't be more excited about Bly Manor. And even he'll, we'll probably mention again, but when we, we did I Zombie, the actor who played, uh, probably blank on his name. Oh, Ravi Chakrabarty. Uh, the actor's name was. Uh, Something you can't pronounce, probably. But we're super excited because they did do the promotional. Raul Kalui. Yeah, they did the promotional art. Uh, I didn't watch the trailer, but they did put out a trailer for Bly Manor. I won't. But, he, but it, there was pr- promotional steals, and uh, you see him all in the promo. I'm so excited to see something, him something. That should be of, of incredible quality to see him acting again in something else. And I, could, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gushing right now, but I couldn't be more excited for Bly Manor. Okay. Uh, as we've already said, it's the, it's called The Haunting of Hill House. It's a Netflix original. It came out a couple years ago. It's all on Netflix, and as long as you have Netflix, you have access to it. Obviously. I don't think be, 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 it matters. People know how Netflix works. Yeah. Now, it's loosely, I say loosely based on a book of the same name by an author named uh, Shirley Jackson. The book came out in 1959. It's an old book. It's not a very long book. It's like 250 pages, somewhere in there. But this, uh, I do want to bring it up because this author, her, this, not this book and the author herself have both been highly praised by oddly enough, Spielberg and Stephen King. Hmm. Cause they actually wanted to work together to make a movie. Based on this. Is that not that, that other movie though with, with, the? It was a haunting when they're a Hill House movie years ago with uh they they had nothing to do with that. Okay, they they wanted to do some stuff some some stuff like that, but I think up ended up uh the, the the one they worked on ended up not working out, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Spielberg ended up creating Monster House. 
and that was his haunted haunted house movie. Oh, like that kids animated movie. But apparently, it's I haven't real. seen it yet. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. I think I'll enjoy it more as an adult, like like references and stuff. But let's move on. Now, before I talk about anything else, Drew did just mention uh, this movie has this book has been adapted a couple of times. Yeah, probably one of the bigger ones is it was in '99. Uh, it's just called The Haunting. The one Owen Wilson. They had Owen Wilson, Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Lily Tyler. Yeah. That's one that had that little, that, well, that, that lion head came across and decapitated And decapitated somebody. Owen Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Movie, yeah. So they, that movie exists. Uh, I don't I, remember hating it when yeah, I, back first, then, who when I was that? nine. But, and besides that, uh, technically speaking, Scary Movie 2. Scary Movie 2 par- parodied The Haunting. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. I, didn't know. I mean, I, w- I would no way of knowing that. Yeah, it's entirely uh, insomnia checks. And uh, matter of fact, um, the, the roles, Liam Neeson's the, the doctor and Tim Curry is the doctor. You know, <laughs> it all, it all, but yeah. Okay, that's cool. So let's get to the, uh, the meat of the matter. <laughs> Actually, no, one, one last thing. Sorry. Uh, the reason she's so highly praised, Shirley Jackson only wrote. She, I think she, she died in like the '60s, and she was only about 40 or so. She wasn't very old, mm-hmm. but she managed to put out over 200 books, short stories, novels, and memoirs. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, a short story can only be like 5,000 words and stuff like you know. But still, that's a lot of stuff to be putting out. And the fact that she comes highly praised by both Spielberg and King, like they both talk about her being responsible for stuff that they're in. King's like, that's why I love one of the reasons he loves horror, her and Lovecraft. Hmm. That's awesome. So that's pretty, pretty cool praise. Anyway, um, it's only 10 episodes long mm-hmm. and they range from, ne- never drags. They range from like, you know, 40 minutes to, I think like the first episode might be like a full feature length. I think it's like 71 minutes. It's like a long episode, but that's what you're looking at. It focuses around, the Crane family. I'm not going to go into because it does a uh, not a time jump, but it does a past present. You see both at the same time, and I like the game. Never hold the game. <laughs> the show never holds your hand. You got to keep track of who's who in the past and present. It's the Crane family. I'm gonna name off a few names and some stuff they've been in as quick as I can. Just the adults or the kids too. Um, because none of the kids really had done anything. Like I've recognized some of their faces, but uh, more—it's more about the adults anyway, because you spend a lot of the time with them. It's well, it's back and it's forth. Back, it's kind of half and half. But the adults have the bigger IMDb pages. So I feel like before we say anything else about these about these kid actors, or just actors in general, like I don't know if Mike Flanagan searched these people out, but this dude could not have nailed casting any better than what he did for this between the kids and the adults. Because these kids are better than anything happening in the It the It movies or, the or, Stranger, or Things. Stranger Things. These kids destroy those kids in, in acting ability. And mm. it, it's wild how, how different uh, acting can be, I guess, given how, how good a director is and the writing is, how much different it can be when stuff's done well. Because I don't fight. I, I, all these kids are great, and most of the kids in It are obnoxious. Yeah, definitely. But real quick, it's a mom, dad, and five kids. Mm-hmm. So the father's name is Hugh. And his old version, I say his the present day version, uh, I didn't write down any of their names. 
but I wrote down what they starred in. So hopefully, if you're a fan of the TNT show Leverage, he plays a character named uh, Nate. Never, never watched it. The young version of Hugh, oddly enough, if you've ever seen E.T., it's the kid who played Elliot all grown up. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's the young version. I remember you told me that. I was, my, 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 my was blown. Yeah, by he's, that. he's, he's, he's. Elliot, all grown up as you know, so I thought that he's, was he's the past dad. Yeah, he's past you. And let's see here, he's still but, acting. Yeah, but no, no, everyone else is just their their present day because he's the only one who had like really big roles in both young and old. But present day, Olivia, which is their mother, mm-hmm. is a uh, Carla Gugino. Fantastic actress. She's uh she's in Gerald's game. She's the lady in she's, Gerald's yeah, game. She's the lead for Gerald's game. Mm-hmm. She's also in let's see Gerald's game. She is in the Watchmen. She plays uh the Silk Spectre. Which the, which Watchmen is? Oh, the the Zack Schneider movie. Okay. She plays the older version, the mother of the Silk Spectre, okay. the original one. She's also in the Spy Kids trilogy. She's the mother. Oh yeah. In the Spy Kids trilogy, she's in Sid City. She's in Sucker Punch. She's in both Sin City. She's in Sucker Punch. She's in a vast amount of movies. Carla yeah. Gugino, fantastic actress. Yeah. Now for, I'm gonna go in order of how old the childs are, the children are. Steve, uh, being the eldest, he is in two things that we're b- big fans of. He was in Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. He was the father of the little kid and Sarah's boyfriend. Can we talk about Orphan Black on the podcast? Not yet. I do want to tackle that eventually. We haven't talked about Orphan Black. We definitely want to talk about it. You sure? I don't have it wrote down, so we haven't talked about it. Huh. He's also the second one, but he is Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones. Yeah. He's the second one. We got recast. The recast one, yeah. Yeah. And that's Steve. He's the eldest son. Yeah. Then we have Shirley, who's the eldest daughter. She is in... I know her from... uh... Uh, what's it called? Uh, that God, I'm blanking on the TV show Six Feet Under, right? No, no, no. She's not Six Feet Under. You're, it, that was it's Lily Tyler who's in. No, yeah, Lily Tyler's Six Feet Under. She was in Grey's Anatomy. She was Rebecca, the girl who got flattened, and uh, the one character uh, reconstructed her face. Yeah, I thought it, she was the one from mm-mm. Six Feet Under. Huh. No, it's two different people. But she was in Grey's Anatomy for a, a rather large arc early on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, watch that show back in the day. Until my favorite characters died, and then I stopped caring, but don't judge me. She's also really big in the Twilight movies. She plays the mother of the Cullen family, uh, Esme. She's been in all of them. No idea who that is. Me either. Uh, Then we have the the middle daughter, which is Theo. And she is is, uh, played by Mike Flanagan's wife. Mm -hmm. She has been in Hush. She's the lead. And she's basically lead and almost only actor actor in Hush. Mm-hmm. She's also in Ouija Origin of Evil, she, which is also Mike Flanagan. She's in that. Let me just go. We haven't watched that yet. I think we tried to find it. We haven't been able to watch it. I don't think we watched that yet. And pretty much any other Mike Flanagan project, she's either in there as a minor character, major character, but oh, yeah, she does help wife, him write and produce. And yeah. Fantastic actress. Yeah, she's great. And she plays Theodora, also called Theo. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the twins, the young twins, both Luke and Nell. Nell is short for Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Luke is in, he's actually in The the Invisible Man, that, that brand new one that came out. He was The Invisible Man. Really? Arthur Griffin. 
He was him. He plays the visual. That's ironic. But you probably never see him. Yeah, but he he's the he's the voice and everything. With the uh, paired with the ever overrated Elizabeth Moss. Mm-hmm. He was also in, in the recently the. You keep squinting at your notebook. Maybe you should write bigger. Well, I, I try to fit a bunch on the page at once, <laughs> and I, I just short and I I took shorthand in my notes. Oh yeah. And I have to look at it to see what my shorthand means. But he's also uh, <laughs> in the Stephen Moffat Dracula. He's in that. He's in all ten episodes of that. He's in all ten episodes of that. And uh, as well for Nell, unfortunately, she probably had the smallest thing. This being like one of her hugest things, but she's also in that um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. She no, appeared, we haven't watched that yet. She's we haven't. We haven't watched it yet. So that's a quick breakdown of all the characters and their names and everything. Because I'm only going to refer to them by their names because. That's the, I. Yeah, we don't say too much more. I mean, it's how do you sell this show for one thing? But uh, it's, I can it's spoiler ridden. I I can. Like I said earlier, it's flashbacks and present day, mm-hmm. roughly twenty six thirty years apart, something like that. 25, 30, 30 years apart. Mm-hmm. Hugh and Olivia, their main jobs they do is they move into homes, they renovate it, mm-hmm. and they sell it for double, triple the profit. That's is that past. Yeah, that's that's that's, past, that's, that's, yeah. that's 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 what they do in the past, and so they moved into the manor, into the hill house. It had been in disrepair for like a hundred years or something, and so they've bought it and they just start renovating like crazy. And it's such a huge house; they got it for so cheap, and they got five kids to run around this house, so it's just perfect. And so they're just doing the normal thing. They, you know. What's it? Olivia's the artist. She draws up the blueprints and, and the interior design. And Hugh, with the help of sometimes the kids, sometimes he has family. And there are is a caretaker family that that you know keeps the grounds, and they help as well yeah. by you know truning the hedges, helping paint rooms, so on and so forth. Yeah, you mentioned him that, that one of the caretaker because he, he appears. I saw him in something else recently too. He's I didn't pretty... write them down. I wrote their names. It's uh, Clara and Horace. Mm-hmm. I just I wrote them down, but they're they're in the they're not the main thing, but they're in there. They they do play yeah, roles. They're only in the past parts, right? I don't, no. I don't remember everything about it. Anyway, the the everyone's here in this home, and as uh, restorations go on more and more problems are unveiled with the house. There's mold, leaky pipes, pipes that go nowhere. And why is this here? So on and so forth. And the longer they're there, certain things start happening. The kids might see some stuff and you don't know if is this kid an imaginary friend? Is it something or is it a real person? You just haven't seen them. And it just kind of certain possibly paranormal things start happening and it all kind of cr- builds up and builds up and you know each kid has their own little playroom like one of them has because like i said it's a huge mansion so every kid like one of the kids has like the room where they watch their tv the other one has where they play their video games or toys one girl practices the, dance yeah i think theo does dance and like shirley has a reading room like every kid has the their boy, own the boy draws mm-hmm the, young, so, the youngest boy draws. Yeah. So each, all the kids have their own room, and they all have their own playroom. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of it's a it's a mansion, it's a manor, and it's really cool. And but like each kid has a uh, an encounter 
of some sort with a paranormal entity, maybe, perhaps, we'll say. And everything just kind of builds and builds and builds, and there's a lot of, like, kind of stress, because you're not sure what's real, what's not, who's going on, and all crescendos to a single night mm-hmm. uh, in the summer of 1992, where something goes through the house and hurts someone else severely. Yeah. Is it a spoiler to say what happened there? Is is the whole whole show built around that? Well, there's two major big, big things, but about that particular, the past is about that one moment and the present's about this other moment. Yeah. Is it? We're not going to say the present moment, but I can't think we can talk about the past moment because it's built all around. Yeah, it's yeah. built all around that moment, ain't it? Yeah. Okay. It's the murder of their mother. Yes. And whether someone did it, well, well, obviously someone did it. She got murdered, but well, did it, she? I mean, it's that's that's the yeah. the mystery of what of what that happens. And this, I say it's loose spoiler, but it is talked about really early because it is the gist of what uh, it's the reason for the time jump because it, it's all it's because the time jump is the however many years later and the kids still dealing with the death of their mother and the and and there's a more current event happening as well. But all the kids obviously. They're all young. They're directly affected by the dad. And the dad, too, obviously is affected by the mm-hmm. uh, sudden and uh, dramatic uh, death of their mother and his wife. And I don't want to talk about because it's only 10 episodes. It's You can knock it out fairly quickly. I, I, I think it's incredibly paced. Yes. There's never a dull moment. The, 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 it does phenomenal things with pacing and uh, the ups and downs and the the writing of these characters and this acting is just it's so it's too good at points you're just it just that's what I fear about Bly I don't think Bly can live up to this keep it I'll always try to if, if it's something I know I'm excited about I always try to keep my expectations low just, I don't like letting them get out of hand and when you get into the future the, the future the present day stuff when all the all the kids haven't been they've been, they've been kind of distant with each other for years and you get all the most of them have been, and you get all when you get the, those scenes and the because one of the one of the the oldest daughter ends up working for a uh, funeral home. She runs a funeral. She home. runs a funeral home. So, but anyway, they all end up meeting there for whatever you know, quote unquote, story reasons. And you start seeing the family interact again uh, for the first time, and some some of them for the first time, 10, 15, 20 years, and their dad shows up, and the drama and the intensity. Of this, of that particular, it's all like this is all like one long episode. There's even a really awesome. I want to talk about that one separately. Okay, but it's all in that same episode inside the uh, the funeral home. But it's, it all happens all at the same time. That all the it's the first time they've all been in the same room in 20 years, and the drama that unfolds, the layers of characters, the relationships. Why Mike Flanagan chose to have so many characters involved to layer these relationships each character has with each other and then all the drama they have with their dad who uh more or less kind of abandoned them i think didn't he well what happened was again spoilers don't try not to um with uh, the police investigation nothing really they couldn't 100 percent prove that he did or didn't but uh, hurt their mom and kill the mom attack the mom but they took them away and he never tried to get them back. Yeah. Because he 
he couldn't. There was no way he could actually win that fight. And I think they went and lived with his sister there. I, the, I think their biggest problem with him was the fact that I think it's that he didn't try at all. He he didn't try. That's because yeah. he he didn't know what to do. Yeah, he was totally lucky because he was shattered by the loss of his wife as well, and then just, immediately by the loss of his children. Yeah, but then the, the the animosity that his kids have for him is strong, of course. Though well founded, obviously, and the between all those new all the all the the present day actors and then the different actor, of course, there's a different actor playing past dad and modern dad, present dad. So and then both are phenomenal. I mean, that dude's. The pain he feels, and he, uh, God, do we, the whispering thing. I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to go into the him no, whispering. That's too much. I don't want to talk too, about that. Too, that's too layered, I guess, for what for a podcast. But, but uh, pay attention to the present dad. He's very, very interesting. There are two things I want to talk about, and then I think I'll be done. First and foremost, Drew just said earlier, Mike Flanagan doesn't hold your hand. It's entirely up to you to be paying attention to what's happening because it doesn't go then, now, past, present. It's You can be in one five-minute scene and you could be following, uh, we'll say, Nell is playing hide-and-seek with her brother Luke as a child and running down the hallway going, Luke, where are you? Luke! And then the camera will go down the hallway and pan and as it pans... It's looking at future, at present day Luke, and he goes, "Yeah, now what is it?" Like they, it's seamlessly blended together, a transition from scene to scene. Like I'm pretty sure, like when they filmed it, the little girl probably filmed with the adult, and they, yeah, you know, ran off screen. And just, and it was, it's just, it's edited beautifully, cut together beautifully. And speaking of edits and cuts. This is something I didn't notice until recently. Like as an adult, like I stuff I'm paying attention in, in movies and stuff. Hopefully, some people in the audience know what a long shot is. I think we've spoken about it in a couple other things. A long shot is usually it can be a five or ten minute scene of continuous, sometimes longer. There are whole movies made on this. Well, movies that play tricks, but uh, well, most recently the biggest movie that tries to pull the trick off. It's a trick. But uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk does it. On, it's uh, filmed in the, but it's a trick. It's not not really. But Dunkirk is shot in the form of a one shot. Another reference, a great one. Uh, the new, the last God of War game. Yeah. Is uh the whole game is presented now that game doesn't really use any tricks. That game is just that game is just made as a continuous shot where you're always you're always from Kratos' perspective and it that's pretty. That game is why people don't talk about that about God of War. I get that whole game is done through a, a, like a continuous shot. I was going to say uh, Birdman. Uh, Birdman has... It, 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 it uses tricks. It uses tricks, but it is set up to where it is one continuous shot. Because what will happen is they'll be going through a hallway, and then the lights will go dark before they hit the stage. And But that darkness... Or they'll turn up, go through a door sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so Birdman uses tricks. But it, uh, most people don't try to do super long ones. There's one in... Uh, there's an amazing one in uh, True Detective season True one. True Detective like season one. It's like seventeen minute. It's like it's like six minutes. It's near the end of the show. It was like seven. It was like seven. No, minutes. no, it's just him running down the street, running through multiple houses and backyards. The whole thing is done in one shot. Mm-hmm. It's a really good one. That's that one's that one's known. Uh, people talk about uh, Children of Man. Does it? Yeah. That one people said is pretty amazing because there's explosions and multiple characters involved in that one. There's explosions and vehicles and multiple characters involved in that one. I, uh, a friend of ours showed me the, the 
like sent me like the YouTube. I seen that movie. I didn't think about it at the time, but he sent me the YouTube clip that was the one shot, and you see the whole everything involved. Because one shots are more complicated. The more stuff you do, the more complicated they are, including movements and dialogue and everything else. Uh, but that one one has like ex- literally has explosions, vehicles, dialogue, multiple like multiple dozens of characters. And that one there's a lot of stuff running around. That one's all done. It's incredible. But through but when you're following the one guy as he runs around a, a battlefield, mm-hmm. so. And I almost I'm not I'm not into war movies, but I almost want to watch Dunkirk to see how they put how that what what just to watch it. I don't want to say tear it apart, but see if I can catch the breaks in Dunkirk. But it's I, really just a war movie. I, I bring it. I bring up long shots because there is episode six. I actually looked it up. It's episode six. It's a uh, you know like fifty minutes or something. The entire episode is six shots. The, it's six long continuous shots because you can see them and they're if you're looking for cinematography and just master because people have to hit their marks like people having a conversation there's people in the background doing stuff and they have to be on the mark that way when the camera turns to them they're doing what they need they can't be a step behind this stuff has to be rehearsed and in in your head, if as not an actor, not a you know camera operator, you're thinking, oh, six minutes of just doing something I've rehearsed, that can't be that bad. But you got to be doing you and the other, I will say, the, eight people in this room, twelve yeah. people in this room have to be on the dot. Not only the act, the actors. The, so this these are the scenes. It's the dad and all his kids mm-hmm. are in these scene, in this this particular scene. So all your all your actors have to be on point. They all have to nail, and they do. They have oh, to nail f- every line of dialogue, every interaction with every other character. All of that had to be on point. And then the crew making the thing all have to be the on point. The other 30, 20 people behind Whoever the scenes. Whoever knows behind yeah. the scenes. Everything has to work out perfectly. Now, who knows how many times it took them to get this right? Who knows? It's an incredible feat. And think about think about how wonderful this one to us this one is think about the larger scale of what it takes to make a scene like children of men where there's running and gunning and even the one with a true detective where that that one follows mcconaughey as they're chasing down the bad guy i think near the end or something like that i think i've seen that he's running through a neighborhood interacting with a bunch of people and there's there's shots fired and that there's hiding and diving through things there's a whole elaborate thing of that that's a of a different of a different beast i assume mm-hmm. but the level of acting and precision and the the heaviness the sheer heaviness of the scene in hill house of this particular of this long shot is immense and incredible and the fact that if it does even during these long shoot, I mean, it's it's edited and it's trickery. But each, like I said, it's six long shots. So each long shot was roughly like eight or so minutes. Something. Yeah, you, you know those one. There's one cut where the dad goes downstairs. Yeah, he, he cuts away. He goes because the power goes out. Well, that and the whole time, it's it it does the present day and then it does past stuff. Yeah. And so it, it'll like you'll follow the dad through. It does like a, like a, a trip from Bourbon. The dad will walk through a dark hallway, and then. As soon as he takes another step out the hallway, it's young dad, and you're in the past, and it, and it just kind of like the camera's going around like a big room, and then it follows dad from the past into present day, and it, it's all seamlessly edited. Like I'm sure if I was like a snob or an expert, I'd be like, oh well, there was like a six second, a six millisecond delay in between transaction frame, <laughs> you know, hubbub, get kicked in the nuts, or in the no no square. Um, 
a lot of nuts in this episode. I know. I don't know. I'm just because we were angry, and the only being angry, it's all about kicking someone. We we, <laughs> we did pick this show on purpose because the the massive love we have for this. It's not on. I guess horror ain't the theme. Uh, I mean, we don't really theme our podcast, but well, kind of actually is in all honesty. A little bit by accident, but the the I wanted to pick something. I totally picked something so positive on the end because of the negative I would have for the games. Anyway, hopefully I have we haven't spoiled anything because I this the, I the, don't. The biggest want thing to. we've said maybe is the, the is the fact that the the mom the mom dies, but that's so that's in the first episode. You find out that that's what the whole thing is kind of about. Mm-hmm. Uh, is what affects the now the the present day stuff. There's something else going on, but the way the characters are. They're that way because of the death of their mother and how their dad reacted to it. So, I mean, it's just, uh, that's how it is. And I think, if anything, the mom dying is maybe our biggest spoiler we did. Yeah. I don't have anything else. I do have... I would have... do it. If you haven't watched it now, the... They're supposed, now, they say there's no relation between the two TV shows. I don't know. Is there a carryover of any, or any actors doing both? It just says several. Several or pro. So... I, I don't didn't do enough research it. to know who. It just says that several actors are reprising so their roles. I guess the haunting is the a Netflix anthology thing, sort of like a. Oh, we did how an anthology because that is kind of on point. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, American Horror Story, which those are wacky and just nuts and rarely any rarely worth watching these days anymore. But I think the idea was to have some of the actors come back and play different roles throughout the different haunting. Surely his wife will be in Bly, of course. Yeah, he'll he'll use her again. And why with the show this successful? Why wouldn't they want to come back? Yeah, you say yeah. you say that, but lots of people dropped out of American Horror Story. Well, they also those same people had been doing American Horror Story for eight, five, six years, and you know they yeah. just wanted to take a break. Take a break for sure. So there's some it should, should be some repeat characters. Uh, as far as we know, they're not connected. Uh, I think the idea is now there could be some some trickery, like even American Horror Story is pulling trickery. They've kind of pulled it out of their butt recently. But uh, as far as I know, it's not connected. So, But I would still vastly recommend watching this first. You get a gist of what it is, uh, what you're getting your hands on. I don't think, uh, like I said, Mike Flanagan directed every episode of Hill House. He he did not direct every episode. I already know in advance that he did not direct every episode of Bly because I had, I've heard him on a, on a different, heard him speaking on a different podcast about him uh, just being busy. In general, he actually was working on Dr. Sleep, the same. He was doing promotional stuff for Dr. Sleep while they're filming parts of Bly Manor without him there. He says it's the first time. It's actually the first time in the podcast he said the first time he's never had something he was working on continue working while he wasn't there. He said it was kind of it was kind of weird, kind of weird for him, and not he didn't quite feel right, but he wasn't there for every aspect of what he was doing because he was a hundred percent involved in Hill House. But anyway, look up. Mike Flanagan, anyway, watch everything he's done. I've never been disappointed in anything, everything that I've seen. I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've seen Ouija, Origin of Evil. Uh, but Absentia was cool. Absentia was the first thing he ever did. You could tell it was about, it has a little bit of age to it. It's more, almost nearly an indie movie. There's like, it's all mostly inside an apartment. Um, so it's pretty cool. No relation to the, I think there's an Amazon show called Absentia. There's no, no relation to that. Absentia is a, uh, you have to look at the word up. I used to call it absentia because I'm an idiot uh, until they say absentia in the movie. I was like, oh, that's how you pronounce that word. It's a, it's like a mental, I think absentia is a, like a mental disorder. It can happen to people. I forget it. They explain it in the, in that movie. Uh, anyway, I'm getting 
trailing off here on Mike yeah. Flanagan. Yeah, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's just he's been doing doing amazing things. Is if you, I know people a lot of people don't follow directors like me and Blake do or writers and stuff like that, but he's one to watch out for. He's been doing incredible things. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen all of his work, but everything I've seen so far, I've not been disappointed in. I think you've, I think you've only missed Absentia. I haven't seen Absentia and Ouija. Ouija, and I haven't seen Doctor Sleep yet. Yeah, see Doctor Sleep yet. Yeah, Doctor Sleep's cool. It's all right. I think I'm ready to. Yeah, that's probably it. To end it, say don't watch. Please don't watch any trailer. Any any little number of things that show up in the trailers of this could be like if you if you see something happen in a trailer and you like you'll be thinking about that too too much when you go to watch the actual show. Just watch this blind. It's so great to watch it blind. And then watch it again because it's like, I want to say it's like Fight Club or like Fight Club. You realize like, oh, dude wasn't there the entire time. And you watch Fight Club again and Fight Club's pretty cool the second time through. It's not, this isn't a Fight Club movie, but it's like everything is there the first time. You every, All the hints and all the secrets are literally, it's all there the first time you watch it. You just don't know. I now know what Drew is talking about, but there is a reference in episode one. Yeah. Just a brief reference to something. That is just like a you see it and you're like, what was that? That references something that happens in like episode nine. Yes, it's just it's tied together so well and so cleverly. I did find a tagline, but oh. it's not a great one. <laughs> but I will, I'll end uh, the show on the tag right, with the tagline. Right. So anyway, you know, you know how we how we try to end things. Find us on all the little. I'm not going to list that again. Do all the social media stuff. Watch Blake on a. Uh, Watch Blake on Twitch, but maybe on Mondays. Just Monday just follow it. It'll, it'll ping you when he goes live. Watch every game he's doing. Tell him he's terrible. He'll enjoy that. Spit on me. Call me scum. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever I'm into, you're, in, <clears throat> you're into. All right. That's it for me. I'll let Blake wrap things up here. Thanks for listening, guys. The Haunting of Hill House. You're expected. Well, that's bad. It is bad. Just as you're expected. <laughs> uh, good evening and good night. Botched it. Oh, I thought I thought we were. I thought I ended on the tagline. Uh, I don't remember how we do it. That's too Bye. <laughs> Yo, I'm hopping all around. I'm a pink bird. I'm walking all around. Better drink some Wawa. I'm just flamingo. I'm coming on your shoreline. Here I go. I'm gonna peacefully drink. Yo, I'm slowly creeping up to your front yard. Nothing threatening here. I'm just a flamingo. I'm a flamingo and I'm coming up to you. Oh, is that your child? I'm gonna rip out his motherfucking eyeball. I'm gonna rip out his goddamn eyeball. I'm a flamingo, I'm a rip out of your eyeball. I'm a flamingo and I get up in your child's eyeball. No more eyeball, child bitch. Time for grandma. Time for grandma. It's time for grandma. I'm gonna eat your grandmother. Time for grandma. Give me your grandmother. Give me her vagina. I'm eating your grandmother's vagina. I don't give a fuck. I'm flamingo, bitch. No rules here. No rules here. I eat vagina, then I fly away. Flamingo, goddammit, I don't care. I live by these rules, and it's true. The damn baby is a lawless nation for the flamingo. It's nothing that I do, can do about it. You, I can't know when I'm flying all out.
for blood, got a thirst for blood, got a thirst for blood, I'm gonna come and get you, I'm a flamingo bitch, I'm gonna come and get your ass, it's flamingo time, I'm time to eat a little snack, yo, your snack is mine, the snack is your person, your human body is my appetizer, then for dinner, I think I'm gonna do croutons and maybe a light baby spinach, I think I might do baby spinach for dinner, um, but first your sister, and first your sister, and then your sister's sister, and then your brother's sister. That's right, I'm eating your entire family tree. What's up, bitch? It's me. It's your flamingo. Thank you. 